4.3, the adoption of the agenda. There are some uh, quite a few changes here. Um, number one would be to uh, reorder uh, 9.1 to follow the public comment, as well as uh, action items 11.5, 11.6, and 11.8. As proposed, those would follow 5.0 public comment um, in that in that order. Also, uh, uh, a little um, uh, spelling correction on uh, on the consent calendar. Item 10.3.2 should read uh, as a name, Community Health Clinic, Olay, DBA, Olay Health, and type and term would be a contract, 211.16, that's today's date, through 528.16. So with those uh, corrections, I'm asking uh, for a motion to approve. So moved. Second. It's been moved and properly seconded to adopt the agenda. As outlined, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Uh, So that moves us right into public comment on 5.0. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda, no action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to, let's say three, but I will give you a five, five-minute presentation, any more than that, and uh, you'll get the gavel. At this time, uh, I will pull those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on any item on the agenda. I'll ask uh, uh, Carol Lee if you have any cards. Uh, so I will open up the uh, public comment session. There's any of those in the audience or coming through the door that would like to speak on any uh, item, any public comment uh, item. Uh, seeing none, I hereby close public comment and move to uh, item 9.1, the Kennedy Park Master Plan. I'll turn it over to, to Dr. Ron Kraft. Sir. Thank you. Um, Matt, are you going to do the intros here? Okay, thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. Good evening. I uh, have representation from the city of Napa. The city manager is here, Mike. And I apologize, I won't pronounce your name. Last name, sorry. Parnes. And John Coates, Director of Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation Director. Uh, first of all, as a means of introduction, uh, the city of Napa Parks and Recreation Department and the college have had a long-standing relationship regarding facility use that goes back into the 70s. Uh, uh, back in the 70s and early 80s, the city was faced with the challenge of having blooming programs for both youth and adult recreation and didn't have enough facilities to support those, those programs. The college and the Unified School District both have uh, athletic facilities that were available during non-instructional hours, and that provided the opportunity for the city to grow their programs. Uh, at the time, there was an agreement, a tri-powers agreement, between those three entities that allowed the city to use both the college facilities and the unified school district facilities and to spend some college funds to make the adequate improvements that needed to be uh, in place for that. 
Uh, along with that, just as an example, in 1983, they added a softball field here at the college and did improved lighting on the athletic fields as a means to be able to support their programs. Uh, when I came in the 80s, at that point, the city was using three softball fields, baseball field, the gymnasium, the swimming pool, all for community recreation activities here at the college. Uh, over time, the city of Napa was able to develop some of their own facilities. They built Las Flores. Uh, they added some softball fields to Kennedy Park. And as some of you may remember, flood control, when they came through, they actually removed the city softball field that was built in 1983 and did some other things. Take us all the way to this point in time where now the city's using one of our softball fields and uh, has a limited use of the gymnasium, some of the athletic fields for occasional practices. And again, we're coming full circle now to where we're to the place where the city has the potential with development and things and their plans for Kennedy Park where they will have facilities that the college may have an opportunity to use. So 40 years later, we're swinging back the other way. Uh, through their planning process, uh, they were very gracious and included me as a representative of the college from the very beginning when they were first just walking Kennedy Park. And I've taken part through that process, tried to interject the college wherever I could, and I'll turn it over to John to walk through his presentation. Thank you, Matt. Good, e good evening. It's a pleasure to be here tonight to present this plan to you. We have a very ambitious master plan for Kennedy Park, and we're um, very excited about the improvements that are envisioned for the community. So early on through the process, we established five project goals that we wanted to accomplish with the, the planning process. First one was connections, and that's not only connecting the park to the community through alternative ways of transportation, whether it's through uh, walking or cycling, but also to ensure that we have good connections from one amenity to the other to make it as easy to get through the park for, um, as possible. Also, we thought it was important to focus on separation of uses. As you know, the park has partially developed. It's a 200-acre parcel, and about 125 acres are actually developable. The rest of it is in the floodplain or the floodway. And there has been uh, a lack of a, a theme as far as the placement of amenities, and we thought it would be important to try to keep active uses together and uh, somewhat separate from passive uses and find ways to connect those. We also thought it was important to have a sustainable park, not only environmentally sustainable, but socially sustainable, where people will come together and celebrate community and make the most of the opportunity that the space has to offer. And also it was important to focus on financial sustainability. I'm, I think too many localities fall into the trap of finding capital money and they build great facilities, but they don't have a, a, a way to keep them and sustain them to the level that they were when they were first built. And so we think it's important to be able to create a balance of programs there and amenities that will allow us to generate some operating income to offset our, our operating expenses. Sharing was another project goal. We thought that was really important to identify all of our stakeholders in the community and find ways that we can make the most of the of the improvements that we make so we don't duplicate. So as Matt mentioned, he was on 
uh, one of our planning teams. We involve the, um, the Napa Unified School District as well, as well as many other stakeholder user groups in the community. And then finally, we wanted to make sure that this park really spoke to what Napa is all about and capitalize on the natural features on the property and find a way to integrate the developed environment with that natural environment. So I thought it was important for you to see the project structure that we used. We hired a park planning firm out of Sacramento, Calendar and Associates, and they drove the project for us. Our Parks and Facilities Manager, Dave Prazo, was the project coordinator, and he worked with various staff on the city team, and then I oversaw the linkage to the community team, which had several of our Parks and Recreation Commissioners, Matt from the college, as well as the head of facilities from the school district, and then we also interacted with a variety of um, stakeholder groups, such as soccer and baseball and, and those types of groups. It was a rather lengthy process. It, it took over a year to complete the planning process. We had a variety of um, focus group meetings, stakeholder interviews, public workshops uh, in order to identify and, and then develop alternative um, site plans. We went to the Parks and Rec Commission several times and had them uh, react and revise the plans. We had several meetings with the City Council to do just the same and that's what got us to the draft master plan. We refined it, took it to a final uh, commission meeting in November, and then the city council accepted the plan just this past December. <clears throat> this is what the final product looks like. I did put a copy over on the wall, too, for you to, to look at if you had the opportunity. Um, as I said, this is a, about 125 acres of, of developable property. Um, you can see the blue, the two different blue shaded lines that identify where the floodplain and the floodway is. And uh, it's, as I said, it's a pretty ambitious plan. Um, one of the things that was most important was to honor recommendations out of the 2010 Parks and Facilities Master Plan, which was a citywide master plan. And some of those recommendations were not only to, to master plan this park, but to find ways to put more athletic facilities into the park uh, to meet the, the emerging demand um, in the community. So you can see there, we're looking to, to add two, exist, two softball fields to the existing fields, improve one of the, base, the one baseball field, and then um, about um, 10 multipurpose or soccer fields. With this intense development, we'll also require need for more parking, so we're recommending that we increase the parking um, rather substantially to be able to handle large-scale events as well as multiple um, activities simultaneously. We developed uh, seven specific areas that define the park. And I'd like to walk you through those a little bit, and that will give you a little bit better um, perspective of what, what the plan really calls for. So the, the entry is, is obviously the entrance. The garden is a passive area where we have um, a variety of uh, gardens and, and artwork. The center is really sort of the core of the park. That's where the Pelusi Center is now. And then the arrival area is right where the duck pond is. And then as you turn left on Streblo Drive, you move from a family area to one that's meant to sustain more community activities. And then in the far left, you see the sports uh, destination. 
We think it's important to create more energy into the entrance of the park. So when people drive in, they get that wow factor and they realize they're in the city's signature park. So we're envisioning some type of monument that might honor the namesake of the park, John F. Kennedy. Um, A lot more um, vegetation, more trees. Um, And actually, we're envisioning um, taking the... the, um, behind where you see all those flowering trees, extending the vineyard concept from your property over to ours. And that's one of the first opportunities we saw that might be a potential partnership where the college could participate in the vineyard management on our behalf. The garden area is another passive area. We are envisioning some bocce ball courts in there, a sculpture garden, separated cycle track to keep bicycles away from from vehicles, restrooms, um, an edible forest, as well as a variety of uh, flowering um, plants, and then um, of, uh, expanding the wedded, wedding garden area. And then, as I mentioned, the center is really at the core. It's right across from the parking lot of the golf course. We're envisioning um, some improvements to the Pelusi Center or replacement to the Pelusi Center possibly up to a 30,000-square-foot community center that would have classrooms, meeting rooms, cardio, strength training areas, more um, activities available like that. Enhancing the edge of the duck pond, possibly even putting some type of overnight accommodations like cabins around the edge of that. And then um, enhancing the access through the college and possibly even seeing that access go all the way up to Amola, Amola. And then you can see the, in the photo to the right a possible amphitheater below the Pelusi Center overlooking the duck pond. And then we get to the arrival area, which would um, improve the, the existing baseball field. It would flip the orientation, allow it to be big enough to have an overlay for a, a multipurpose field like a soccer field and have some support amenities such as a restroom and concession area. And this could possibly be a place for the college baseball team to practice and play as well. And then the family areas where the existing playground and the picnic areas are now, we're envisioning picnic pavilions, large group areas where we could um, have rent those out for large picnics. People could have shade structures. Um, sand volleyball. We're actually improving the two sand volleyball courts that we have right now in conjunction with one of your instructors who's going to offer uh, sand volleyball courses through the college over at the park. So we believe that's that's going to happen this year. And then the community area is where the radio towers are, if you're familiar with that area. Uh, Eventually we'll have... uh, have those relocated either to another portion of the site or off-site entirely. And um, we believe that's a perfect area for community gathering. We could put a stage and use sand-based athletic fields there. It is in the flood um, floodplain, so we can't put synthetic turf or anything like that. But we believe we could put um, three additional multipurpose fields there create a really high-energy place for the community to come together and celebrate events and concerts and that type of thing. And these are just a few of the renderings of what we envision. Down in the bottom right, you see we even envision a little food truck area, so when we do have special events, we could have 
uh, concession operations. And then finally, the sports destination area. Uh, we're envisioning building two more softball fields to the east of the existing fields. Um, those most likely could be synthetic turf and then up to the top but where you see number nine and six that's a batting cage a multi-use field and another soccer field <clears throat> excuse me and a, a building in the middle where you see number four that could possibly be offices but most importantly a food and beverage operation that could support all the activity in that area we would add another playground and additional restrooms just between the skate park and the corridor going into the um, to the concession building. And this just shows how we might be able to do a larger overlay on those two new fields. So this would be in a separate and defined area that would uh, be you know the most active of the entire park. We've um, anticipated that the total cost at build-out is upwards of $45 million. And so we wanted to put this into phases that we thought were achievable. And at this time, we think that in the near future, we might be able to attain a, a little over $4 million through development impact fees that we have uh, collected to go toward the first phase. And the decisions on what went into the first phase were, were really honoring the recommendations from the citywide master plan, from the interviews and the, the um, public meetings that we had going through this process, and then looking at the areas that are ready and capable of some level of development. So the potential first phase has an enhancement of the entry, as you saw that rendering early, where we would do more vegetation and some monumentation removing the caretaker's house and returning that as public usable park space. Um, it calls for keeping Streblow Drive in its current alignment. If you can see in the, the dotted red line through the center of this, this is where the, the drive is now um, currently. But one of the key recommendations in the plan is to actually move the... Um, to move Streblow Drive down adjacent to the railroad tracks, which would allow us to prevent having people cross a road to get from one portion of the park to the other, and it would create more of a contiguous piece of property that we could do more development with to make it more usable. And actually, when we presented this plan to council in December, they asked us to look to see how we could possibly make that happen in phase one. Um, so, and then you see item number four would be building the two softball fields to complete what we call a wagon wheel, putting in the batting cages, the multi-use synthetic field where you see number six, and then adding a themed play area. Phase two would be moving toward the development of the community green space where the radio towers are now, um, enhancing the arrival. It, building out the baseball field with the soccer overlay, and then doing some more trailhead improvements that could get people moving through the park and connected, uh, to, all, to, connected to all the amenities in the park. We've tried to look alternatively at how to fund this, to not just go to the general fund and ask for contributions. Um, we really want to try to kickstart development 
and uh, find ways that we could generate revenue that are uh, tied to our mission, something that's consistent with the programs that we're planning to offer. And um, we believe we could create a large draw with modernized recreation facilities and programs that could help us jumpstart some of that revenue generation. So these are the funding sources that we've identified, development impact fees. As I mentioned, we have upwards of about $4.5 million um, that's reserved now for future park improvements um, or acquisition or improvements, obviously general fund money. But as importantly, partnerships, where we're looking at possibly public-private partnerships, where you saw the sports destination we're looking at possibly having a, a private operator go in and do all the sports marketing and management in that area and then pay the city some uh, portion of their revenue generated and have them maintain it. So if we were able to do that, that would be a way that we would have less burden on the general fund to be able to make that part of the park happen. Public-public partnerships, such as the things we're envisioning with the college, and then public not-for-profits um, with a variety of different um, stakeholder groups who may want to come in, such as the, the Unified Soccer Group has indicated that they have some capital money they would be interested in investing, helping us get some of these fields built. Varieties of grants that we're tracking, and then, as I mentioned, program revenue, where we could generate net or earned income from the programs or the facilities that we put in the ground. And with that, we, we kind of stepped back and did a little bit of dreaming, and this, this slide shows you what we're calling opportunity sites. Um, so if you look at the entrance uh, down at the bottom, you see the bocce ball courts, and we're envisioning having tournaments, league play, that type of thing where we could generate revenue. There's a, a parcel that's undeveloped between, just behind the caretaker's house and the number 10 fairway on the golf course, that we believe could accommodate upwards of 30 spaces for some type of overnight accommodations, whether it's uh, RV camping or yurts or small cabins. Uh, but we believe if we could um, find a way to, to develop that site, it could create a sustaining revenue source for us that we could possibly generate the net back into further improvements of the park. We're looking at partnerships with the golf course, um, whether it's through uh, their social space with weddings, catering, that type of thing, running more of our programs on there. Foot soccer is a big game now. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but it's where they're using golf courses to, to have a soccer league. So you, instead of playing traditional soccer, you play golf with a soccer ball. And we're talking with the golf course about running programs like that and doing some type of revenue sharing through that. Well, obviously, many more community events, concerts, that type of thing in the community space. The sports destination, as I mentioned, has the potential to be a public-private partnership. Um, kayak rentals, paddleboard rentals over at our boat launch. Um, more, I think we'll see a lot more activity once we put shade structures in the park for reserved picnic areas. The baseball field, a possible shared use with the college. And then the possibility of having paddle boats camping cabins around the edge of the um, the duck pond. <clears throat> and then we kind of dreamed a little bit further and identified some other potential areas that we really haven't vetted too well, but maybe it could be a wine train stop or have a food train vendor th stop through there. And um, a multi-gen center, maybe not at the Pelusi Center, but as the golf course has um, a need to up, up, 
update or enhance some of their facilities, such as their pro shop, maybe that's shared space with some type of community building, possible RV parking over by the BMX facility under a solar array, sponsorships on park amenities, overnight accommodations, as I mentioned, on the uh, duck pond, and then shared uses with our neighbors right next door here, the, the Napa Valley College. So that's a very quick, high-level uh, view of the um, master plan, and I'm pleased to take any questions that you might have. Kyle, go ahead. Um, so as the Kennedy Park develops, what do you see as some, like the top two or three collaborative projects that could benefit our programs here and our students? Sure. I think by having... Um, Additional space for you to run more recreational programs, such as the volleyball partnership that we're working on right now. Um, I, I think that uh, the golf course is interested in uh, some type of culinary partnership with you. They, they very much like to explore that. Um, you know, again, I think with expanding the vineyard concept right across Streblo Drive, that could be a living laboratory for your students who are in the, the in, in the viticulture business. So, um, and I think equally as important would be for us to find ways to maximize the use of your existing facilities as well. I know Matt and I have talked about the old football field that has the track around it. It seems like some modest investments could turn that into a, a really nice soccer field that uh, we could expand uses for for the community. Yes, go ahead, Amy. You mentioned that one of the fields that was near the wetland um, would be natural. Would the rest be artificial turf then? Um, we'd like to reserve the idea of looking at the feasibility of that. Certainly the, the soccer field that's closest to the river above the softball fields and the two additional softball fields, we believe that they could certainly be synthetic turf. And... Um, which would really be a nice adjunct to having two natural turf softball fields. When we do get heavy rains, we could at least have two fields that we could keep in in, um, in use. Got question. Um, what um, type of cooperation would you need from the college to complete phase one of this project? Well, I think um, possibly... Um, looking at how we might share each other's athletic facilities to a higher degree. We'd certainly like to welcome you to use the soccer field, the two softball fields, in exchange for us having more access to some of your, your facilities as well. I think that'd be a great first step. In your revenue uh, sharing ideas, have you given any thought to naming opportunities? Yes, we have. That uh, in terms of the resources in the valley would be a possibility. Absolutely. Uh, you probably wondered, John, when you came, why we're the only we have the only baseball diamond with lights on it. Uh, that was the result of the power uh, joint powers agreement, you know, back uh, into the seventies. Uh, you've mentioned outside use for fields. What about the gymnasium itself? For example, the room used for adaptive PE is equipped with pretty uh, state-of-the-art kind of equipment. Uh, it's something that your that Park and Rec could offer 
classes in. So you're looking at inside and outside both? Oh, absolutely. We don't have a gym. So, you know, we're at, um, you know, we're at the mercy of the Unified School District to use their gyms and obviously with you as well. I know that we don't have a, 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 a memorandum of understanding with you any longer, but perhaps that might be a really good next step is to revisit the possibility of memorializing some of these um, mutual commitments that we could make to each other. Yeah, that, that document, I when I saw we were doing this, uh, we still have buried somewhere probably, Matt, the, the uh uh, the date of expiration, I, I happen to have been the staff person that managed that, uh, the relationship in, with the joint powers in terms of of uh, fields inside and out uh, back in the 70s and, and early 80s. So it, it does exist someplace. I mean, yes, it expired, but I think the spirit of, of cooperation uh, wouldn't take much to resurrect it. So it's a great idea. I had a, another question. So I understand just by the looks of it and hearing some of the numbers that it's going to be a really expensive project. And I'm careful on how I frame this, but what could the college do to help garner some of those fo- uh, funds? As I hate to say a collaborative bond, but bond sometimes is a scary word nowadays. But have you guys thought of any situations where we could assist on joint ventures on some of these programs? Um, not beyond just, you know, um, talk at the water cooler, but um, we'd certainly be open to exploring that with you jointly. Is an edible forest, is that fruit trees? What, what, what's fruit meant nut by trees. Fruit nut trees. Mm-hmm. I, I love that idea. I got a couple more if no one else has any. Yes, go ahead. Uh. So as we're developing our master plan here on campus, uh, I know this board endorsed um, last summer some of our initial steps for that. We've asked staff to continue to work on exploring some of the concepts, uh, primarily the Greenbelt area, but I think some of these we share on the property line. Um, we were looking at it in our master plan for more sustainable use. Um, and this seems to connect directly with your guys' project in the pond area. And I was wondering if there would be a joint or shared use and how we go to bed, go forward exploring the options of what we would be doing down there by the pond, like an outdoor amphitheater. So. Sure, I've... Um I've looked at your master plan, not in depth, but uh, I think there's so much opportunity for connection uh, to each other's amenities and also shared use and possibly co-development. So I think we'd be very very interested in continuing those conversations with you. About how much area is that that we share on that green belt on the college side versus the city side? Do you guys have an idea or or Matt? I'd have to go back and look on Matt knows. I'm not sure exactly how how much through I haven't done an acreage breakout on that. So again, the the shared space is uh, where the properties abut each other, from the Pelusi building down to the uh, uh, flood control property line. There is five six hundred yards in length. I would say something like that as far as 
a, a linear, but then obviously connecting all of the park through our campus and all that way is probably three-quarters of a mile to a mile. Got one more. Do you have an estimated cost for this first phase? It's about four point five million. I think you did a. It's a great presentation, and it's really exciting being on the board right now and just being able to be a part of this as it goes forward. And I just I love the whole idea about having a place for the community to be that's right next to the college as well, and how it can you know, best serve everybody, not just our college students, but the city as a whole. So. Yeah, I'd just like to thank you. I think the high, I, I, when you shared these goals of connection and separation of uses, sustainability, sharing, uniquely Napa, I think we've used those same kind of languages here. So it seems to me that the, the college is um, um, certainly leaning the same direction in, in trying to, um, you know, use our facilities and areas as the best we can as well. So it looks good. Next steps? It, it seems like you finished this portion of the planning, so maybe the, your org chart that you established is now done. How best to connect? What do you think? So I guess it's like any dream. Once you visualize it, then you have to figure out how to make it a reality. So. Council has asked us to come back with some funding strategies, and we're busy at work on, on those now. So maybe that's a, a good opportunity for us to sit down and have some more conversations about partnerships and, and how we might you know, find ways to help each other financially. Is this uh, council's asked you to come back related to this next budget go-round? Uh, well, we're in the mid-cycle of the two-year budget, so I think their expectation is that I have some recommendations by next year this time when we're putting together the next two-year budget. So they're giving, I mean, you have about a year to come up with. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking, seeing all that green, and I know you're saying some of it would be maybe artificial, but water, you know, is a big issue here in the Valley. Are they talking about using native grasses? Like, there's even native turf grasses that are low water. Is that something you're looking into? Yes. Uh, the sand-based turf is um, a unique product that uh, we're really pleased with because it has the ability to drain really, really well. Um, but we're on re recycled water on the whole park, so that's a real benefit. Uh, it can be a, a challenge, too, because of the salinity. And we've, if you've noticed, a lot of the trees at the golf course, um, some of those are suffering from a high salt content. The conifers can't can't get rid of all that salt and they're stressed out but um but you know as we go back to that environmental sustainability yes absolutely water use and and wise use and wise choice of native plant material will definitely be a priority my last uh question i just remembered this i met last month with the napa spinal cord injury network which is a group that my father had started years ago and a few of the end of individuals in that group are big fishermen and they were at most of the park planning meetings and they asked about accessible fishing and I saw it in the plans but I was just wondering if it was you know is it ADA or are we incorporating absolutely and I, I just failed to mention that but we've identified two spots one over by Asylum Slow and then one over where um, we're going to replace the pier at the boat ramp when uh, we do the dredging 
Um, so those are two key areas where we believe we could have ADA-accessible fishing piers. And they were very active. They were really engaged throughout the whole process. We really appreciated their input. It's pretty neat if any of you guys haven't seen it. They have a rod that they can put in their lap, and it literally, literally cast out and reels in, but they've caught fish down there, and it's pretty neat. So Again, thank you. Great presentation. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mike. Look forward to continued dialogue. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Moving into action items with 11.5. Carolee, can you turn up the lights a little bit? So I'm getting a little sleepy in here. I'm just thinking yeah. <laughs> it's nice and uh, okay. Sorry. Good evening. Uh, so Planning Committee Co-Chair Mary Shea and I are here to present the planning priorities recommended by the Planning Committee. Uh, I'm going to provide some general information about the process and highlight some improvements that have been implemented this year. And then Mary will present the content that is the recommended planning priorities. So each year before the annual planning and budget cycle begins in the spring, the Planning Committee recommends planning priorities. The planning priorities are drawn from the Institutional Strategic Plan and help structure the upcoming planning cycle. It is the responsibility of the Planning Committee to recommend planning priorities, just as it is the responsibility of the Budget Committee to recommend budget values and assumptions, which are also on your agenda tonight. Uh, when I presented the annual progress report to the Board in the fall, I indicated that we have several refinements to the planning process which will be implemented over the course of this year. And this, this slide describes one such improvement related to the Planning Committee's identification of planning priorities. As indicated in the table, the Planning Committee's recent practice has been to review the strategic plan as well as recent planning priorities in preparation for the establishment of the new planning priorities. Uh, this year, we expanded that exercise to be much more comprehensive in terms of reviewing materials describing the current state of the college, if you will. And those uh, items that we um, reviewed are identified in the slide, so including the annual progress report from last year, data aligned with institutional mission, the core indicators report, and then both the quality focus essay from our self-evaluation report and the uh, preliminary recommendations from the external evaluation team as conveyed by their during their exit report in October. So as you can see, some of the uh, items that we included in the expanded exercise do have an accreditation emphasis. Some other improvements uh, concern communication and the structure of the planning priorities. So regarding um, communication, in the past, our recent practice has been that the planning priorities are communicated at the orientation session that kicks off the annual planning and budget cycle, and that's really um, usually limited to what are called the budget center managers or managers across um, the uh, programs and services of the institution. Um, we've, and we do have the orientation session planned for later this month, but in addition to that uh, method of communication, 
We have shared the camp the planning priorities with the campus community via email, and those were sent out uh, following the planning committee's approval uh, last Friday. And we also held a campus forum um, to collect input, and we held that this afternoon. And these two um, additional uh, channels for sharing information are really intended to increase the awareness of the planning priorities across the institution. Uh, we also this year have shifted at least, and I, the asterisk is there for a reason, um, so this is at least for this um, two-year cycle. We've shifted to two-year planning priorities. So really the agenda item should read that these are the 2016-17 and the 2017-18 planning priorities. Um, so the need for this approach what, uh, emerged from recent planning committee discussions and particularly the fact that we will need to be implementing changes to address accreditation requirements next fall. And so that's why we are recommending a two-year uh, set of planning priorities. Also, uh, the, this represents a more limited number of planning priorities this year. Uh, we are presenting five. Uh, we identified five. And we've had uh, on the order of eight to 12 planning priorities in recent years. And the reason for limiting them is really intended to focus our efforts across the institution toward achieving common or shared objectives. Uh, as I indicated at the beginning, the immediate need for the planning priorities is to help structure the upcoming planning and budget or resource allocation cycle. And that covers one strand of the planning uh, activities for this year. But we're also planning to engage the area councils more, and that those include the four area councils of, of instruction council, student services, administrative services, and the president's area. And so we want to engage them more and have them identify more detailed plans as well as measurable objectives to help monitor and track future performance, and that would be incorporated into the progress report for upcoming years. Um, this improvement is also intended to address some gaps in the planning process particularly as related to the established planning priorities. So the planning committee will continue to keep the campus community, including the board, apprised of these changes and the results of these refinements. Um, but now I'm going to turn it over to Mary, who will present the five planning priorities. All right. One of the things that's really important for me as a faculty member is that I fully support these priorities. And that's a lot for me to say, is that I think these are spot on where we need to be right now and where we need to focus our attention. I, for one, um, think that we got a reprieve on accreditation, and this is sort of our wake-up call. These need to be front and center in everything we do on campus, um, from aligning our uh, student learning outcomes with everything we do. That would be uh, the instructional side of the house, and you've seen these. These have, um, you know, this is where I'm most involved. At, um, I know I complain about it a lot, but I know I have to do my job. So uh, this is this uh, instructional side. And then moving on to the next slide, uh, our partners in crime would be student services. And uh, they are the ones that are going to carry this forward, kind of helping us get those students in the door as well prepared as possible so that we can do the best we can in instruction. And that has been something uh, with declining enrollments. We need to have a really good partnership with our student services, and they really are doing stellar for us. So I want to thank them, too. Let me see if I can do this. There. Okay. 
And one of the things, too, is accreditation is kind of looking at our distance education, and we need to actually, you know, this is a priority, guys. And um, so we're not in compliance, and this is our effort to really make this big across the campus. And finally, we have to have that common understanding of where we're going, and for faculty also, we can look at this and say, hey, uh, are there changes? Are the budget, is that okay in accordance to with our, with our goals, and are we all on the same team? Uh, so I think these priorities are really, really good. And um, finally, I kind of did that, the integrated resource planning system. Uh, it's not okay to put a plan in there and then something else gets funded. And I think that was another ding from accreditation is we better pay attention and integrate better. And um, so for me, I really stand behind these priorities. As a faculty member, I do believe that the attempt to reach out to the wider campus community so everybody knows what our common goal is and that we can all get behind it for the next two years. It's short term. We can hang on to it. And um, with accreditation, kind of, we're through, but we're not through. So I think this is where we need to be right now. And I do believe it also ties in very clearly with our strategic plan, and it just didn't come out of somewhere. It it really does follow a systematic approach to absolutely everything we do. So Robin's vision in getting us forward, I do appreciate it, and as a faculty member, I want to support that. Happy to field any questions you might have. Yes, go ahead. Uh, you mentioned distance education. And I was just curious to see if anything had really come out of the planning committee meetings yet, or in terms of what are some ideas, direction. So that's really where we're going to, planning to engage the uh, area councils to collect the detailed uh, plans, one of the uh, and next steps and measurable objectives. Um, so one thing that uh, an area for improvement that the planning committee has identified in the past uh, year and a half, I would say, is that... Um, although we are 16 very well-intentioned members of the campus community and there's faculty representation as well as administrative classified staff and students, um, we don't have all of the expertise that's required to really do the drill down and identify the measurable objectives for associated with the five priorities. And so that's why we uh, plan to engage the area councils. And then, as I said, the, those um, the next steps will be compiled across the area councils, brought back to the planning committee. We could add some measurable objectives. We will then share those with the campus community, including the board, and likely that will become uh, the structure um, and the focus of future progress reports. Yeah. Uh, is it, if it's okay, I'd like to add to that. Um, so so um, just to tag on to what Robin said, the, the, the aspects of DE that come under this, uh, the third bullet priority, um, that, that really the responsibility of doing that is going to fall to the distance ed committee that will be um, looking for the college as a whole in regard to various ways we might do that. Um, they, the distance ed committee, though, would, would basically be a resource for providing ideas to the area councils and then the two area councils that would really focus on what this priority is looking at are both the Instruction Council and the Student Services Council um, in ways that we could better serve our students at off-site locations. So what that is referring to really is the Upper Valley Cam Campus and American Canyon 
as well as uh, students that take classes at our local high schools um, and as well as distance ed. And so, so the main um, activities that will come from this priority are going to be from the instructional side of the house and the student services side of the house. Um, it, it won't be the responsibility of the planning committee to basically do, do that work. And, and Terry's example for um, distance ed and the role of the distance ed committee is exactly um, in line with one of the uh, areas for improvement that I alluded to before, and that's that the distance ed committee is not a budget center. So they aren't participating in the annual planning and budget or resource request process that these are used to frame. So we need to supplement that. So it's kind of, like I said, two strands, and we'll be collecting that information kind of via a parallel process that engages the councils more directly. Roughly how many courses do we have offered at uh, our local high schools? Or, you know, not including Upper Valley, but American Canyon, Vintage, Napa. Do we know? Do we have, I, I, I mean, guess I don't 20, want to Terry? <laughs> I guess 20. roughly that that report is actually sitting on my desk right now. I can't recall the exact number. I'm, I'm looking at Chris because he might know, but um, I I can provide that information to you at a at a later date. Diana, so. it's great. Everybody in the room made eye contact, and nothing happened. There it was yeah, like no, I don't. No, think. I, it, it is it is literally on my desk, but I don't know the number, so I can I can get that for you if you'd like. One of the forums was uh, that question was asked, and it was like less than 2% of our coursework period is distance ed. Actually, I believe it's 9% of our, um, I'm I'm trying to remember that one diagram. 10% of section offerings last year at least. Right, yeah. So so we we actually offer distance ed, we actually have a significant number. Uh, Realize that distance ed, um, by that definition, is uh, 100% online. Um, to also 51% or above online would be coded as distance ed. So that also includes hybrid that have both a, an online component and a face-to-face component. So we're doing nothing digitally or, you know, in the real world of... Never mind. Yeah. Thank you. Amy? Um, first of all, I like the idea of having less, I think, so you can actually really focus on them. I think that was a good idea. There were a lot last time. Um, and obviously focusing on the things that came up in accreditation, but I'm just concerned that that they weren't worded in a way that that's measurable. Um, I think there was a way to address the various things that accreditation brought up, like the learning account, you know, assessments and so forth, but in a way that's measurable and targeted that can actually drive budget. Um, the way the written. It's the same issue as before, that it seems like at the end of the two years, you're not going to really know if you achieve the goals. And they're so broad, I don't really see how they can really drive budgeting in a really targeted way. Um, well, So we are planning to bring more information back later in the semester to help communicate that to you, and it will include the measurable objectives. Um, as I mentioned, the immediate need is for framing the unit-level um, planning and budget process. And so um, that's why we are bringing them to you for approval now, absent that additional information. Um, just in, in terms of explaining you know, how we're trying to make some of these refinements as we go, is that, uh, for example, the strengthening integrated planning has been a priority for the past two or three years. And I can tell you, and this information did come to the um, board last spring, that, the, that there was one budget center that mapped directly to that planning priority last year, and that was my office. 
And obviously that aligns well with our area of responsibility. But Rippy has three staff members, and we, the three of us, are not sufficient to really move the you know, college forward in terms of ad- addressing the issues that we have related to integrated planning and really strengthening and particularly linking to uh, resource allocation processes. So it's something that we're planning to do later this semester. And again, the immediate need is for planning priorities. Um, one of the things is I want to say that the real secret will be those area councils. Because what it is is I don't I can't drive the bus and you know and so it would be ridiculous for me to say well you need to do this uh, because it doesn't work at at this level but what will happen is the area councils will have measurable objectives that will they will send up to us and once that they do that then it's okay to go ahead with the budget is the, the way I see it because uh, Robin did mention that it's the area councils that are the ones that are going to be really, really responsible for measurable objectives. I I guess what I don't understand is why there wouldn't be college-level measurable objectives. I understand you're talking about unit level, but college level. For example, one of the things that came up with accreditation was that only 50% of the courses and programs had learning outcomes assessment. So there could be a goal, you know, that by the end of the year we're going to have 70% or 80% of the courses and programs have learning, learning outcomes assessments. Here's how we're going to do it. These are the resources we need, and therefore that drives the budgeting to provide that. For example, they mentioned training in the area of, of learning outcomes assessment. That might be an area of need that could drive some budgeting around that. So I guess I'm just talking about like smart goals at the college level um, that are measurable, that are specific, that would you know actually target resources needed to achieve them, and that would drive the funding. I think the intention was there. I I understood that this is more of a framework and kind of like a a template with the goal of providing that information after the aerial councils meet, right? Yeah, and needs to, the discussion needs to involve more than just the planning committee exactly to get it done. Then, and my other concern was the two-year frame. The budget's an annual process, so if these goals are going to be aligned with the budget and the budget's annual. I guess I'm wondering how that works, if that makes sense. That if the annual, you know, if the budget's annual it seems, and it's going to be linked, it seems that they we would, would be annual be, as well. We would certainly be reviewing these just to see if there's any refinement necessary this time next year. Um, but, um, again, the, the planning committee, the comprehensive review that we went through this fall was very time-consuming. That's part of the reason we're a little bit behind schedule this year. And it was the feeling of the planning committee members that we – need to be focusing on taking actions to improve all of these things next fall rather than worrying about the upcoming annual planning cycle um, and, and the time that that requires, that we need to really be working on implementing changes. This is a one-time thing, and then it would revert back to That's, annual? The planning committee has only approved it as a unique feature for this two-year cycle. But we'll, we'll reevaluate whether that gets continued beyond the next two years. But, but I would like to comment, I think, um, in regard to that, back to the idea of reducing the number of priorities so that the college can better focus on issues that we need to focus on. I would also argue that the college needs to keep priorities in place for more than a year so that we can focus and actually make progress on things because to make progress on these priorities, um, n- none of them are, are going to be 
will go away in a year, even two years. Um, improving student success, which is really what the second one is about, that should be one of our priorities every year. Um, and, and many of these others um, are very much part of that. They'll adjust. But I would argue at this point that th- these may take longer than two years. And so um, I think the idea of doing two-year priorities makes a lot of sense so that to help the college um, focus their priorities. So what's coming back will be, you said something measurable is coming back that will be college level or that will be only unit level? Um, whatever's coming back? It, it would be for each of the um, the activities or the next steps that are identified, initiatives, that you, if you will, by the area councils, they will be encouraged to identify a measurable objective and identify parties responsible, all of that level of detail. Then we will compile that. The planning committee will review it, and they can add additional measurable out- objectives or measurable outcomes to supplement at the institutional level. What we found in the past is that if the planning committee in isolation, again, well-intentioned, representative of the campus community, if we come up with measurable objectives that don't engage and involve the input of the experts that we have across the institution, both faculty and staff, we don't get any measurable movement on those. But where would, in the accreditation report, one of the things they mentioned is that they wanted, they recommended that we use um, the core indicators and use measurable goals so core indicators, things like transfer, improving transfer rates, graduation rates, obviously that has to be at the college level, and then it trickles down to activities at the unit level. But those are broad goals, but they're measurable goals, but they're college-level goals. So anyway. I think what you're looking for is something specific and definitive, and I think my understanding is that we're not at that point, but we have the process that's going to take us to that point. And once we're there, we're going to have fair and measurable goals. I think one more final thing, if I remember correctly, you can help me on this too. One year in um, our planning priorities, it we had somehow ESL became a priority, but it was there was no way we could measure success on that or go down to the faculty at that level and say, well, you've got to get your it, it didn't make sense. It was a disconnect between the process and the the outcome. So um, that was so specific, it was not helpful. So I believe at this level, the priorities will help set the framework that will drive the area council to do those measurable objectives. Believe me, Robin gets the data. I mean, so the core indicators report, everything like that. She's not going to fall asleep at the switch and let that go by. So you can be rest assured it will be measurable. We, we look at the data, but we always look at it at the end, you know, to talk about how we're doing, but we never use it then to create goals and to drive planning. And I guess that's what I'm concerned about is the core indicators, that kind of data is always used kind of at the end, to just kind of to see where we're at, but it's never used to, to drive planning or to and, set and, goals and, and to and drive planning. We have a, a myriad of disconnects, and, and that's why, I mean, the, the accreditation recommendations are as they are for a reason, and we knew they were coming. We did identify some of these ourselves in the quality focus essay. Um, And I can tell you that we as co-chairs have met with the co-chairs of the budget committee, I think on day two that Bob was here, and we agreed there was a lot to be done, and we can't do it all in one cycle. And I, you know, laid out a lot of improvements, and we've made some of them our baby steps, but we can't get there overnight. And so we do need to launch the 
annual planning and budget cycle later this month. And so we need is so that's what we're trying to do. And, and the rest, the additional refinements that we've identified and we have on our radar are just a work in progress for the rest of the semester. Rob, I think this is a great outline, uh, especially on the document on page three, um, where you've got the five uh, areas and then you've got them broken down a little bit more beyond that. Um, and I think that the work that you put into that is really great. So I look forward to how this plays out and what we can look forward to in the future. Thank you. Any other comments? Do I hear a motion to approve? Yeah, it is action. I move approval. Second. It's been moved and properly seconded. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Abstention. I vote no. We have one abstention. I vote no. Thank you very much, Mary and Robin. 11.6, the 2016-2017 Budget Development Values and Assumptions. So thank you. Uh, what you have before you tonight are the budget development values and assumptions that were shared with the Planning Committee on Friday, February 5th, and adopted by the Budget Committee on Tuesday, February 9th. These uh, budget development values and assumptions really mirror uh, the budget development values and assumptions that were adopted last year for the 2015-2016 budget development cycle. Uh, there is one uh, uh, addition that I want to call your attention to, and that's paragraph number three under fiscal stability. And when the Budget Committee met last year in March of 2015, they reviewed the uh, reserves that uh, we keep here at the college. And the mandated reserve, the uh, State Chancellor's Office, requires us to maintain a reserve of 5%. Reviewing the reserve and the needs that we do from time to time have here at the college in terms of cash flows, uh, the Budget Committee felt that a 12% reserve would be the ultimate target because a 12% reserve gives us enough reserve to make uh, two months' worth of payroll. And we have in the past, when uh, we're waiting for revenues to come in, either uh, money from the state chancellor's office or, more importantly, tax revenues to come in, there have been times when we have had to borrow using a uh, tax revenue anticipation note or trans note. Now, those are short-term borrowings, but there is a cost associated with that. And so the Budget Committee felt that the ultimate goal would be to have 12% reserve, so we would never be in a position where we had to do that. But to go from 5% to 12% in one year would be probably an insurmountable task. And so the Budget Committee at that time voted to make a recommendation that we move toward a 9% reserve in the current budget development process. So what I'll be sharing with you a little later in the agenda in my uh, report will be our timeline for that budget development process. Budget development process utilizes or, or um, is tied to 
those planning priorities that you just approved. And so when people do a submission or ask for uh, additional funding for the coming fiscal year, what they are doing is demonstrating how that additional funding will support one of those five planning priorities, keeping in mind these uh, budget development values and assumptions. Thank you. Sorry, my, where are we at right now with our reserve, roughly? Then, so that? right now, if we if you looked at our reserve today, it is in excess of five percent. In fact, it's close to eleven percent. But that's only because we have revenues that have come in and we haven't uh, uh, paid the expenditures that will offset that. We expect to end the year with the at least the five percent reserve, but something in the neighborhood of the five percent reserve. On personnel, number three, the second paragraph, last sentence, every vacancy will be analyzed to determine the extent to which the position is essential to college operations. Who's doing that, and how long does it take to come well, that, to that decision? So that would be a combination of the uh, review of the proposals that are coming in uh, to the Budget Development Committee, certainly working with the four area councils to look at how uh, uh, necessary those positions are to the operations of those areas. I move approval of uh, 11.6. It's been moved and properly seconded. All those in favor, beginning with? Yes. Aye. Oh, we're doing a roll call? No. Oh. Signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. No, I, our advisor. Uh, next up, uh, this is, is to action item 11.8 uh, is the uh, board docs proposal. I'll move approval. That was pretty exciting. You know YouTube is free. I mean, Twitter tweet. It's still a, a $9,000 cost annually. That's really inexpensive it's compared expensive. to, uh, you know, other programs. I mean, of Granicus. course, I'm thinking in the corporate world. Uh, expensive than Granicus, right? No, it's more, much more expensive than Granicus. I actually just pulled up with unlimited with unlimited user uh, access. I think was incredible, um, and you know it'll save us a lot on printing paper. Are you talking about board docs? Board docs. You think There's, it's inexpensive? Yes. Yes, and it'll save us money. Compared to well, the last I, one we did, I think the the issue, you know, part of it is money, but part of it is uh, staff time, uh, and and uh, the the fact that it is so computerized. There should be less air. There should be uh, better quality of information available to anybody that goes to the computer and sits down to use it. I mean, that's uh, you know, incredible. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about the staff piece of it during the demonstration, but um, the user group that we got together was in favor of it. Felt it would be much more efficient. The ultimate submitter of items is the one who pushes it up for review by the user group. So, who's the user group? Um, typically, well, Annie and Becky in HR, Solange in the business. Office. All of this, the uh, uh, department secretary, I mean, the lead right. secretary. Right. 
Solange in particular gets at least, I mean, she does most of the consent calendar and has to review all of the documents. If they were already uploaded, it would be much easier for her. And same for me. Does it save overtime? So is there an actual cost savings to it? or We don't do overtime. <laughs> well, I guess that's what I'm saying is it, it might be less work for people, but is it actually saving money for the college? The I, I would respond and say generally if you, if you kind of drop into the system when we're preparing the board docs, mm-hmm. it, it's a very intensive time. A lot of staff time goes into that where I think this could really help is that it cl- it's a clearer path and an easier system more process oriented some things spin around a little bit and they go to multiple people and back and forth I think it, it would serve you well to get information more timely but it will, it will also I think make it simpler and more more transparent for the, the college in general so I, the answer is I believe it would I, 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 would, I would add to that that it won't necessarily save on overtime, but what it will do is allow people who spend so much time um, preparing the board documents to actually work on other things that are important and that get pushed off because of upcoming board meetings. So it, it will make allow us to become more efficient at what we do. Yes, go ahead, Amy. Did I, I hear a, a second on this? I'll second. Okay. I mean, I, I love it. I I was concerned about the price tag. I thought it seemed very expensive. Um, and it seemed like, maybe, Carly, you can tell me the difference or tell us the difference, but it seemed like it had a lot of the same components as Granicus. It had the, um, the, the agenda that's time-stamped with the video. It had the option to take notes. It had the search capability. And Granicus, I just pulled it up from our, our other meeting when we went over that, is a lot less expensive, actually. It's There's the $5,500 one-time fee, and that includes the video setup. So it actually has the video setup, which this doesn't. Um, it doesn't include the actual video. Um, and the, after that, it's only 3600 per year, whereas this is 9000 per year. So Unlimited? Yeah. What do you mean unlimited? Unlimited use. There's no charge. Unlimited use. For Granicus? It's not the same. It's not the same program. It doesn't do the same thing. That's what I'm asking. Is that's I'm wondering what yeah. it, what does he explain that have? in the he explained that in the meeting how different it is. It's more board management, uh, agenda management, meeting management than it is about a video program, about a streaming program. So. I mean, I'll let Carol Lee explain it, but it seemed to me it was more about the, you know, the pre-meeting than just about the post-meeting and what's there. I guess what I'm saying is Granicus has the agenda with the links to the docs, with the option to take notes, with the search. So I'm just wondering what the differences are. You couldn't search what she was looking for earlier today when she threw him an idea of what to search, which searched all these community colleges. No, it search, right. It searches within your meetings. If you put in a keyword it's, like it's bond, it pulls up all the meetings. It's more relevant to what we need. It also has a complete approval tree for the agenda items. There's, it's all automated. They go to the next approver. They move through the system. It's, a, it's really got a lot more horsepower. The library feature, the searching of all the other colleges, um, it, it's not comparable. <laughs> the annual fee with Granicus can go up every year. This is set. 
this isn't going to go up. I guess I'm wondering, what was the difference between this program and the other one you looked at? You looked at more docs, but a lower version? What, what, what was the difference? What didn't it have that this has that you felt we needed? Does anybody know? Carolee does. <laughs> um, it wasn't going to save us much time because it couldn't generate the minutes um, in, in a way that would be acceptable. And it didn't have the approval tree. It, it, it was very basic. Okay. So this would save you a lot of time, this program. Because that's, for me, I just think we have a structural deficit. This sounds really expensive, but if it will save you a lot of time, I, I love what it does. I'm just more concerned about the budget. So I think it'll save time across the campus and be um, a much better tool for the public. It's interesting to me that you would be questioning it when you wanted to see this program brought in, and then now it seems that the board is supportive of it. I wanted Granicus, and it, it's cheaper. <laughs> but if this will save time, I, I like it. I, I like I, whatever will make it easier for the public to access and for us to access documents and video. I'm all for. I just was concerned about the price tag of this program. And and the policy manual will be much more accessible, searchable. Any other comments? So we uh, call for the question. Moved and properly seconded. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Beginning with aye. 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 That brings us to 6.0, constituent group reports, beginning with the Academic Senate report. Welcome back, Amanda. Good evening, board. Um, this morning I had the opportunity to uh, teach a group of seventh graders uh, Renaissance portraiture. And it was a kind of interesting experience, a different audience than I'm used to, and it made me extremely aware of teaching and how, um, especially in a completely different context like that, you're, you change your language, you become more mindful of how you frame something, what you show your students, in this case, I don't know what they were, 12, 13-year-olds. And in any case, um, it, was, it was great. I had a wonderful time, but it made me think about uh, teaching and in, in on a larger, I guess, on a larger scope instruction. And um, in the last couple of weeks, I've had the uh, pleasure of working with Robin and Chris in talking about instruction in the context of the education master plan and uh, with their considerable help and expertise at understanding data, we've come up with um, draft recommendations based on that EMP, which we are now currently distributing across the campus. Well, electronically, and then distributing across the campus in many uh, places, opportunities for faculty and staff to, to weigh in, and students as well, of course. And, um, and it's just been a very interesting uh, exercise in, in trying to understand the role of instruction um, moving forward in terms of um, being serving our students most uh, effectively as well as being able to be kind of responsive to who our students are in this area as we see 
um, from the data that the profile, profile of our students is going to change over the next few years. And in any case, it's, I've uh, really actually learned a lot. Uh, and then I guess on a more, shall we say, micro level, uh, the idea of teaching and supporting student learning, uh, I get to join my colleagues next Tuesday at 12.30 for a, an informal uh, kind of brown bag discussion about teaching. Um, sometimes with all our other responsibilities, we don't get to talk about teaching enough. And, um, and I want to thank my colleague immediately to my right because it was her idea back in December that maybe uh, it would be uh, a good opportunity for us to get together as colleagues and talk about the challenges of teaching. And, um, and, and obviously the great things about teaching, but, but as, you know, walking into a, a classroom of seventh graders today, you, you just realize that sometimes this is, can be really challenging and meeting students' uh, needs and meeting them where they are and figuring out textbooks and, um, and materials and, uh, attendance and adding and, and all of the things that um, in these first weeks of the semester take up a lot of time. And so I'm going to welcome the opportunity to talk about teaching and hear what my colleagues have to say. So thank you very much. Thank you. The Administrative Confidential Senate Report, Ken Arnold. Good evening. Uh, the Administrative Senate is working hard also with the EMP and uh, trying to uh, work and help Robin uh, bring, uh, flush that out and make sure that everything is represented. It certainly has uh, been taken uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, the other issue that I just want to talk about is the leadership training that uh, we have been uh, doing as a college, collectively as a group, uh, uh, we have representation from all of the constituent groups. I think things are have been going well in there. We've uh, met twice, got a third one coming up, and that's been a, a, a successful endeavor. And we hope that that will become, uh, well, I not hope, it will become an ongoing um, training. The other one I'm going to do, and, and actually I'm going to let uh, the students carry the bulk of this uh, next one, uh, the college did for the first time today, we did what was called Escalation Workshop. We have, uh, which is dealing with relationship violence. It, it's, collect a, it's a process between ASNVC, College Police, Student Health Center, and News uh, here in town. And one of the statements, if you think about it, I just want to point out, News was commenting that they had 400 people in Napa County last year who reported being sexually assaulted. And if you do the statistics, if you work it backwards, that means there's probably close to 1,200 people who were assaulted that never said a word, never said anything to anybody, and are suffering in silence. And really part of escalation, what we've been trying to do is raise that awareness as a college. Not that it's always happening here, but we're, but we're working really hard to do that. And uh, it was really gratifying to watch uh, the the students take the lead today and to really be that face uh, at that program. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks, Ken. Um, so this is a Associated Students Napa Valley College report for the month of February. Uh, greetings, board. I'll go ahead and um, just pick up on that topic then. Uh, I'll skip ahead. 
Um, so yeah, Campus Police, Student Health Center, and uh, ASMVC have been collaborating for the last few months with uh, the One Love Foundation. Uh, they host workshops on college and university campuses about um, relationship abuse, and so they seek to educate uh, college students on how to recognize the signs of a har um, an unhealthy relationship or uh, relationship abuse um, so that you can get out, you can prevent it, um, and uh, save, save lives, of course. And um, so it's, it's, the workshop is um, a film screening uh, and followed by a, a discussion. And depending on how many attendees we have, we go into breakout sessions and um, we have several members of ASNBC who are trained uh, workshop facilitators, and then we have several more uh, counselors and faculty members who are trained to facilitate those discussions. So what we did was we tag teamed. We kind of we had a student rep who was trained um, team up with a counselor, uh, and we we planned to break up into three groups um, and go into three different locations to have the discussions after the film screening. Um, today's attendance was. Um, manageable enough it was small enough that we figured we could just do one mega group instead of break up into different sessions but it was um, a very it was a, su a successful workshop uh, today the first of many um april is uh, sexual assault awareness month so i know campus police and all of our other groups that we're working with are, are planning many more um of these workshops and other events on campus as well so um you know and, and even though the attendance was small for this first one you know we all know that one changing one life really makes a difference. Um, so yeah. Um, in other news for associated students, um, so since the last meeting, uh, Club Rush was held January twenty eighth and twenty ninth. Um, it's always a nice thing to see on our campus um, to have the Interclub Council and ASMBC host that um, because it's through the Office of Student Life, and that of course means we are creating student life on campus. I'm always saying that when I go to these meetings is. You know, our office's job is to create student life. It means that it doesn't exist uh, necessarily without us. Um, students finish class and then they get in their car and they leave, uh, or they go get food off campus, what have you. So um, there are a lot of different things on this campus that seek to create student life, and clubs are uh, a nice part of that. We had about 21 clubs hosting tables on both of the days, um, and it was held in the library plaza, so it was highly attended. We also had some of our own student services and uh, some external sponsors host tables as well. Um, the intramural leagues have officially begun today at the Student Activity Center. Um, the Office of Student Life is hosting these leagues in table tennis and air hockey. I mentioned that at the last uh, meeting in, in our last report. And I also mentioned that uh, faculty and staff are encouraged to participate. Uh, if you've got a competitive uh, competitive, you know, uh, vein in your body, you're itching to compete with some students against them in air hockey or table tennis. <laughs> um, the registration online has been extended through uh, April 14th at midnight uh, because we haven't had too many signups. Um, and then let's see, the last things to say are um, we have a food handler certification training coming up on Thursday, February 25th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. in a 3300 building. And um, ASMBC has been tasked by the president's office to hold a voter registration uh, and information booth or some such event uh, once a month at least. Um, so uh, a, com a committee has been created to work on that. Uh, and then the very last thing to say is that uh, we have teamed up with um, Umoja Cohort uh, for the annual African-American Cultural Celebration event. 
that we hold in the Student Activity Center. That's uh, February 25th, 6 p.m. Food will be served. Uh, entertainment provided by our student dance team, uh, Natural Order. They're very talented students. And uh, we've invited a keynote speaker uh, from an organization called Hip Hop for Change. Um, the speaker's name is Kafri J. And uh, Hip Hop for Change uses hip hop as a tool and a positive cultural exchange in several ways. Uh, education, empowerment, efficacy. It's a really nice group um, that will be coming to, to do a speech for us at the event. Thank you. Thank you very much. The can I just, Michael, if you don't mind, can I just add something real quick? Yes, you may. I, yeah, I just want to say, um, I think it's great work that you're doing. I served on the news board, and I think that domestic violence is something that has no stereotypes. And um, and the more you can get more people involved and uh, get these conversations going, I think that would be wonderful. Yes. So really, really encouraged to keep that one going. Thank, thank you. you so much for doing that. Yes, thank you. That, that was something that a lot of students actually responded to in particular was that, um, that diversity that they, that they identified with. Um, and at the McCarthy Library in the lobby, we had these posters up um, where we had people put up sticky notes with messages about um, examples of a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. And um, that was something that people uh, talked about a lot when I was working the table the lobby was, you know, this, this sort of thing does not discriminate um, mm -hmm. at all. Uh, gender, age, race, uh, what have you. I am, um, you know, uh, working in the staffing industry, which is what I do. A woman came to me one time, high-level accounting professional woman, who says she got to find me a better job that makes more money because my three kids and I, you know, are going through. She told me what they were going through at home. So... Um, you know, that kind of opened my eyes and realized that it was happening. Thank you. I'd like to piggyback on Marianne's idea, too, and just have you guys worked with voices in town? Have you guys reached out to that group yet? On this particular event, no, it was, um, you know, it was, it's, uh, we've never worked with One Love Foundation before, so it, it was a new thing. Um, so, but I know that I feel like um, maybe a previous ASMVC board, one before my time, probably worked with voices on other events, but um, not this particular one, no. We'd be willing to go down there if someone from Associated Student Government wanted to go and try and develop a relationship or a connection with them and see if it's something they could help out with. Certainly, for maybe for, for all those uh, events we're planning in April, definitely. Thank you. Classified Association report. Farmers going to double up. Uh, yes, Jan is away today, so I'm going to give a very brief report on her behalf. Um, SEIU, our local chapter, is holding its steward training this Friday. If you're not familiar with what a union steward does, we are. Um, we are trained in negotiation and mediation. We usually get a crash course where we dig into our contract pretty in-depth. Uh, we are the representatives for our membership, that front line, before they get into conflict with admins. Uh, we work with um, members so they understand the evaluation process, probation. And then when problems do arise, we are the people that usually sit in the room with them to make sure uh, everything is going well. Um, so we'll have a whole new crop of stewards entering the ranks this Friday. 
Um, and then also Jen wanted to, me to point out a couple of our members. She did not give me their names, but that are working through our local chapter, our parent chapter of SCIU local, that's very involved in the fight for 15, which is the fight to raise minimum wage across campus. And we have a couple members getting very active in that initiative, including Jan, who I know is one of them. And that is the association. And I'll put it right back at you for the classified Senate report. <laughs> okay. Um, sometimes when you're a research analyst, you end up being the Debbie Downer at the party. Uh, I've recently learned a different term for that, although I'm more familiar with it used in hacking, but that's called the black hat. So every team has a black hat, that person that kind of uh, looks at initiatives and maybe pokes holes in them. You know, everyone wants to be a dreamer and come up with the big new great ideas, build the great big new buildings. Um, but someone has to poke holes in it to make sure it holds water. Um, and I, I couldn't help thinking about that when I saw the plan for Kennedy Park. I mean, it looks gorgeous. I love softball. I love batting cages. I live tweeted that out, like, sign me up. I'm ready for the batting cage now. Um, but putting my black hat on, the other thing I do see is a lot more traffic going by our campus. I see a lot more usage of the area down there, which just requires a lot more staff, requires a lot more custodial staff, a lot more security. Um, down there. Um, I also saw in there that there was a couple ideas for putting overnight accommodations right next to our campus border, which also puts some of, the, uh, some of that effect on us. Does that affect our security at night if we're going to have people camping right across our campus borderline? Um, so I think it's important as Napa Valley College works with the city on this that we hold their feet to the fire and make sure that they uh, are paying attention to those types of issues as they're also building these great new parks. Uh, on a similar note, um, since Napa Valley College is in a planning process of its own, uh, classified staff have been reviewing the educational master plan, which I think we're, we're getting good at this. We're getting pretty good. It's our second go around now, so I think we're getting some really good recommendations, some good strategies coming out of the EMP, but a lot of the classified staff have been concerned that they're there is nothing in the EMP about staffing, about professional development, about training. And while I think our understanding right now is that this document isn't really the type of document to hold that, we want to make sure that the college doesn't lose sight of that as a very important piece, that as we plan for new technology, new classrooms, um, that we can have the best technology in the world if we don't have people here who know how to use it. It's, it's going to sit on a shelf and collect dust. I think we can all think of examples of technology recently that is still uh, collecting dust. So I, I just I want to put my black hat on and make sure that we don't lose sight of things like staffing and professional development as we move into the bigger plans on our campus, such as the EMP or the FMP. Okay, black hat off. Uh, we have a classified retreat coming up in March. I think I've talked about it briefly before, but we have a, a speaker from St. Helena coming in, Tom Brown. Some of you might be familiar with his work. He's known up and down the state for, um, his, I mean, he's a super motivational guy. His talks are mostly about diversity and the changing roles of community college. He's going to come in and focus 
on the role staff play in student success, which is something often we really need to hear because a lot of us are stuck in our offices all day. We need to hear that message that we're making a difference as well. Um, traditionally, the classified retreat has been a, a classified production and people have to ask their supervisors for time off or release time to come to the retreat. A lot of times they feel like they can't leave their desk um, or, or just unable to with their workload. So we're working with the admin senate and a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations uh, about this really is a training. It's, it's helping staff be better professionals at the college. So we really wouldn't like the message across the institution to be, if you can close your office, absolutely please close your office. Kick your staff out the door if you have to. Make them come to the training because it, it's really important that um, our staff get that day of professional development that we can really work on ourselves, build us as a community, build us as a team, and then share our experiences with the campus. And then last but not least, I want to end on the highest note. Uh, Mr. Mike Ronald is our employee of the month for February. He drew the short straw, I guess a short month. Um, but he's big enough, he can handle it. If any of you know Mike, he has... He has an imposing figure, but he's probably one of the biggest teddy bears I know. He has a huge heart. He is the equipment trainer down in athletics and PE. He keeps all of that running. He washes uniforms. He maintains the weight room. Um, anything to do with sports or athletics, he makes sure that they are ready to go. Uh, he comes in on the weekend sometimes. He works late. He's comes here early, he's an avid motorcycler, and he just bought a brand new pickup truck to haul his gigantic trailer, he likes camping. Uh, he's been here eight and a half years, and he's a keeper, he's one of the good guys, so if you're ever down there and you see him, make sure to shake his hand, he's our employee of the month for February. Thank you. Thank you just, very much. Just remind him that even though he has a short month this year, he does get an extra day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I think the board always appreciates perspective, uh, and, and this is a good place to hear it. Thank you. Diana. Hi. Um, pardon? Please, after last uh, month. Um, so um, first, I want to say that I um, really enjoy the uh, workshops that Ken is putting on and the stuff that the student body is doing. I'm sorry that... Um, our student left because I would have loved to ask him to resend out the um, intramural flyers. He, he's so he he's actually going to class right now. He's doing a lab, and he'll be right what? back. No, yes. <laughs> so just take another couple of minutes. Class yeah, here? Yeah. Um, and also appreciate the um, challenge to do the voter registration. So um, so important. I always tell my students that people died so you'd have the right to vote. So you, you really have an obligation to get out there and vote. Um, I also tell them I don't care who they vote for, but I kind of do. But, um, <laughs> but um, we, um, as you probably know, or maybe you don't, we're working with an expired contract. So we are very excited that we have our new um, district team has been put together. And so far they've met a couple of times, um, and it um, seems to be positive. And we are hoping for some fast forward motion this semester. And... Um, Let's see. You know, I have really dry contacts in, so I can't see my writing. That's actually it. So <laughs> I said everything on my list. 
So um, thanks so much, and um, that's it. Thank you very much. I'll turn it over to our president, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bill has been patiently waiting back there. So I think I'm, I am going to go a little out of order, if it's okay, and, and ask uh, Bill Hardy to come up for the Napa Valley College uh, Foundation Report. Thank you, Bill. Thanks very much, Ron. Uh, members of the board, it's always a pleasure to get to have an opportunity to speak with you. Uh, we've got a couple of things in the works. Yesterday, uh, we came here to the campus with, a, with an architect who had done a lot of work with wineries. Uh, and... Uh, he went around with us, with, with Dr. Kraft and, and, uh, uh, and a couple of other folks, and, and looked at the space down at the viticulture program. Because as you may recall from our last couple of meetings that we've been talking about, our getting involved in trying to greatly expand and enhance the viticulture program with private financing. And, uh, and the board is sort of, our, our foundation board is taking the lead on that, even though ultimately it's not something that we're going to be running or, or having a part of. But uh, our thinking, as, as you may recall, was that this is sort of the, the heartbeat of the valley, winemaking, and, uh, and the real sort of resources and talent and, uh, is, is in that business. I mean, after all, it's a, it's a huge business in, in Napa, and Napa's known for it. Napa Valley College ought to be known for it, too. And uh, we're, gonna, we're hopeful that this is going to work. I have no idea. I bow to no one in my ignorance of running a program like this, uh, but uh, we'll see. I mean, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So far, we've uh, we've got an ad hoc board together, as I think I've mentioned as well, pretty good folks from the wine business, and uh, we're in the process of trying to figure out uh, where we're going with this and how much money it's going to take and how it's going to all work out with, with you folks and, and with uh, the DSA and other uh, people involved. Um, we have in mind and have planned an event to be to take place at the at the uh, viticulture area, the winery area, uh, sort of as a support for that. Uh, and it had in mind that it was going to be in May, but we've sort of put that off because we're not sure whether or not we're going to really try to launch this program. And if we launch the program, we want to do it at a time that we already have hopefully some kind of lead gift in place. And so we're, we're probably looking at doing this event in uh, November. But it's been planned and, and uh, is kind of uh, sort of in the can and ready to go. The, uh, so I'd say at this point with the VWT program, we're at the feasibility phase. And, uh, uh, and uh, we'll uh, keep you informed. And, and, and obviously, we, uh, this board will have a great deal of input on what happens. And, and it will fit into the, this master plan. It's kind of interesting that it, it's in the same general area as this Kennedy Park master plan area and uh, could be a nice uh, segue or, or congruency there, uh, hopefully. The second thing is, uh, as uh, we've been speaking with Ben Casada and, and the folks in, in the student, uh, uh, student activities area about helping out with that. I think I mentioned that last time as well. We've got a little bit of uh, dimension to that. I'm meeting, we're meeting with our foundation board next week to hopefully appropriate some money to help the kids uh, get furniture and do other stuff to, to get the, uh, that room up and running. Because, as I've mentioned, it's a very important part of the student experience to have a, a place to socialize and a place to develop relationships. So that when you look back on, uh, on your college experience, you, you remember those, and that gives you an affiliation with the school that nothing else will, really. And, uh, in fact, uh, 
I've been married to my affiliation with the college for 49 years now. So uh, that, it, that kind of stuff really works. And, and, uh, it's, uh, uh, and that's the kind of thing that really, really energizes and, and helps an alumni outreach program. And that's the other great initiative that, we wanna, that we're working on this year. So uh, uh, Ben uh, uh, has been very helpful and has got uh, some ideas about that. And, and hopefully we'll be able to help out. It looks like we will. Uh, we have uh, done a little work with uh, an ad hoc group of you folks on the MOU, uh, which is uh, very interesting, and and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get put to bed shortly. Uh, so thanks. If you have any questions on any of this, I, I wish I could give you more specifics on the wine industry, but uh, in the wine uh, initiative, but uh, I, I honestly don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. We've got some dimension to it, but we don't have a definite enough plan to, to do it. And I, I understand that this is something that would have to be done entirely with uh, private financing. Well, let's hope that we can do that. And uh, so we're just going to need to raise a, a fair amount of money if, that, if it gets to that point. Let's go ahead, Amy. Are you referring to like a, a tasting room? Or what do you, when you say you bring an architect out to look at the space, are you, is that what you're, well, you're talking about? Yeah, what we're thinking about uh, is... is uh, is expanding. First of all, if you've been down there, I mean, you can't you can't turn around in those in those spaces because it's so crowded. I mean, there's so much. And and uh, uh, Paul said that uh, uh, I do know how to pronounce his last name, but I, I don't try to do it in public. But uh, Paul said that uh, uh, that sometimes they have standing room only in class classrooms. I mean, it's just crazy. And uh, so we're hoping to get more more classroom space and more and a tasting room as as one of the other things. I guess they're already sort of working on an interim one, and uh, and to kind of spiff it up and and create a sort of quasi branding where it's the 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 wine institute at Napa Valley College or the Center for Wine Education at Napa Valley College or some such name, and uh, <clears throat> and that gives it uh, that gives it a, a sort of target for a, association by contributors from the community because they say, well, we can be part of this. And that, and hopefully that makes our members of our wine community more a part of the college, which is kind of the overall goal. I mean, that's, if you, if you want to look at a sort of meta goal for our foundation, it's to, it's to create more affiliations between the community and the college. And uh, we think this might be a good way to, to do it. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'm happy to, uh, to answer them. Thanks very much. Thanks for another chance to, to, to speak with you. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Well, let's drop into the um, president's report right now for a minute, if you can do this. Um, there's a really spiffy picture of Charo up here. Um, and there's some, and again, I post these things, you know, so they kind of hit the record, and people who are not here tonight get a chance to review this, and people across the, across the campus. Um, so it talks a little bit about Charles, and we've introduced her and talked about her, and so I'm, I'm really happy to welcome her as Executive Director of Human Resources. Um, down to planning a little bit, we, it's just, a, again, the same piece. Um, I've had people say, you know, if you're going to do a presentation, a community presentation, can you note it in the President's Report, which I did. So there's a master plan for Kennedy Park, which I have to say is I hadn't seen the entire presentation. It's very exciting certainly does address the Streblo entrance, which is um, right now uh, underutilized and, frankly, a very dangerous 
um, traffic hazard and um, for pedestrians as well. So I, I think that um, if, we were, if we were solo, even in our effort to want to create a nicer college, I think, and maybe it was on the radar at some point, the Streblo entrance certainly needs um, some tender, loving care down there. So I'm excited about that. Um, the next one is the Gasser Foundation. I've had the Gasser Foundation with a combination of regional collaborative throughout the, the county. <laughs> Sorry, did you lose your... Um, throughout the county is working on an initiative for affordable um, housing. The affordable housing really is about um, the full-time folks that are employed in line jobs in the county. That means teachers, firefighters, policemen, um, staff people, administrators, other folks who live and work in the county who are unable to find the kind of housing that they would like. And you have, with me, I'm sure, seen the number of articles in the Napa Valley Register or, or read or heard. It's a very hot topic. And um, they are interested in, in starting to build a coalition of folks um, they're coming out in March to present their kind of overview of, uh, of their current project, which is, again, very close to the college. It's right across the street over on Saw School over there in Pastamola. And um, they also talked about the Campus Village as being a, a potential. They've seen just some of the conceptual pieces. We're not even to feasibility on any of that. But they're talking to all the school districts. They're talking to Queen. They're talking to the state and anybody else who they feel that might be able to have an impact on affordable housing for workers in the county. So that's an exciting piece, and we'll know more about that. Before you move on, mm -hmm. can I add my piece Please, to that? Yeah. To, uh, uh, two meetings ago, um, the chair approved my sitting in with a housing group, uh, not the group that the group that, that Ron is sitting with are the uh, – heads of the entities throughout the county to see, first of all, you know, available land. The group that that I've been sitting with are the developers, the realtors, the um, uh, those that are creating the influx of workers that need housing, hospitality, restaurants, wineries, grape growers. And so they're looking... They're the the how-to group, and what they're looking at is uh, each group. They need they're sitting down around the table and trying to come up with, okay, you bring so many employees in, so everybody's going to ideally everybody's going to take a percentage of. Uh, they need to set a goal. Let's say it's. Seven hundred, that's five hundred thousand dollars a year to put into an affordable housing pot. So, how much does the how much do the grape growers put in? How much do the restaurants put in? You may or may not know there are four hotels online to be built, uh, different places in the valley uh, right now. So, this group is saying, you know, this is available potential space. The the uh, finance group is saying this is how we think we can do it. Of course, as you heard tonight, uh, with Ma uh, Kennedy Park Master Plan, impact fees are the way that a lot of 
uh, things get funded. And the impact fees drive costs up because those are impact fees to the developer for what they're building. So everybody's trying to be um, generous and open, and uh, there is a meeting scheduled on the 15th of March with the city council where this group will, the, uh, the work group will be taking ideas. Now, Lark, uh, the planning director for the city, sits with this group. Then you, the uh, the county is is uh, is represented. The county has an affordable housing pot of five point two million dollars, and their commitment right now is just to first time home buyer. Uh, it doesn't they haven't shared in any other way. So this is a uh, you know this is what's referred to in politics as silly time, where uh, uh, you know. Jeff probably understands this better than anybody in the room, but where people that are running for office, you ask them a question about, uh, you know, what would you do about this? What can you, and immediately their brain goes to, I don't want to lose this vote. And, you you know, and it's it's a very crazy time. So this is the time to do this sort of thing because people that are running for office uh, – you, you have captured in a different sort of way. So the, this is uh, this is the broadest and the, and the deepest that this community has gone to try to look at affordable housing. And that term means workforce housing to the majority of people. Special population housing are disabled and seniors. And so that, you know, they piggyback on that. But uh, it's, it's very exciting. Thank you. And so there's there's a lot of, of stuff bubbling up. You can kind of feel that as I was talking to Mayor Teckel, she said we really are past the tipping point. You know, downtown is building and there's cranes and restaurant every two weeks and two new big um, spas, you know, opening up with maybe between 500 and 1,000 jobs in Calistoga. I mean, there's just a lot going on that will be accomplished in, in the near future. Moving forward a little bit, and Robin's going to speak on um, the educational master plan just a little bit later, but I've, I've noted it here. Um, community engagement, the pathway home is um, just real quick, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to have them come in next month. They're currently working together with the San Francisco Veterans Care System, the Veterans Home in Yonville, and Napa Valley College to evaluate our student veteran needs. Um, it used to be a, a very small kind of boutique program for up, maybe up to 20 or 30 events. It's broadening out. Um, the, the goal here is really to see whether or not Napa Valley College and this consortium can be one of the templates for uh, um, the nation. This combination of a very strong community college serving vets with behavioral needs in, in residence, um, behavioral um, counseling on, on site, and um, a really good combination. So we're excited about that. There'll be more. Patty is, is in, and Oscar have been talking um, certainly with this folks, and I think they came over and visited. And don't want to steal too much thunder, but next next month, and <clears throat> you're speaking on that tonight, Oscar. I'm sorry. Um, we had some cash for college workshops that you probably want to talk about later. Um, I've been meeting with the Napa County Alliance for Senior Education. This is a very broad based of very powerful seniors. Um, 
high-level folks from high-level jobs in all walks of life. They're very excited. Um, they are presenting some very unique and wonderful ideas um, that are everything from what would you traditionally probably want to frame in terms of lifelong learning all the way to second career and some, you know, some very exciting concepts in working with the college. Um, I, I brought a couple things. I just absolutely for those of us that have been around for a while. That group is chaired by Bill Weddington. It is, and we do have a member out there. And I'm so sorry. I'm struggling for your name, and it's just killing me. Arnold and Arnold, can you your last name as well? Yes, and and Arnold is on the on the team. I met with him this morning. Um, we're going to move forward. They've got um, a presentation scheduled for the board, and I um, hope to get that in in April. And you can see it, it's a very nice combination between Stanford. There's some Harvard pieces in here and Napa Valley College and the Alliance um, for some really breakthrough, I think, programs that are really going to be very interesting. Um, statewide Classified Staff Awards, I don't need, you didn't mention, I just saw today, um, I would the Board of Governors and the Foundation recently announced this annual Classified Employee of the Year Award. Purpose is to recognize outstanding classified employees throughout the system. I think we have some definite nominees at this school. I'd like to encourage the Board of Trustees. You, you are the folks who would send in the the, um, the nominee. So there's a website out there, and I'll drive it out to you or so. But um, um, I'm so excited about what we do. Here and and uh, it's a good way for us to recognize the classified. There's a really spiffy picture of Tia, um, and I, I always reach out a little bit to a faculty highlight. Um, you know, at least one thing. And in the past, it's been Maria Via Gomez and and um, um, Aaron and some other folks. But congratulations, um, she's operating manager of the Harbor Theater, um, and she says we're attempting to re- rebuild this theater community. There's a, a little bit of MySpace down there, and she's got a one-woman show in March, which um, could be good. Maybe we do a bus and go down and you know visit her and her um, her deal. There's some selected pieces down there. Um, in terms of the year, I, I, I thought it was a very good opening. Um, I think in talking with students and faculty, um, we're doing uh, we're doing strong. Um, People seem pretty pleased. There's still students, you know, trying to jump into classes, and there's a little juggling going on. But overarchingly, I think the uh, it's been a swimming start, so I'm pretty excited about that. Okay, now I'm going to just turn it over to uh, Oscar. Can you lead us out here with um, some vice president stuff? Okay, yes. Uh, we want to start off first. I want to start off with with invitation from 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 Howard Willis, who's our dean of counseling. Uh, he'd like to to invite you to next Tuesday from uh, two o'clock to three thirty. Uh, Senator, uh, uh, Congressman Mike Thompson will will be visiting the SSS office, the trio, trio office, and he's there with the purpose of uh, learning of, of our students what has uh, what what services through SSS program have have they engaged in and have been successful. So the idea here is for him to listen to the stories of, of our students who have been successful and those students who are or uh, who will be going to bigger better things. It's also a fact that that uh, that Congressman Mike Thompson, Tom, Thompson is a member of the uh, Trio uh, Trio Caucus in Washington, so he has a great great love and great affection for for SSS programs. And so, once again, that's going to be next Tuesday, the 20th, the sixteenth, from two to three thirty, uh, in the uh, SS Trio office, uh, room thirteen thirty three. On with with the with the pathway. 
This is a project that, from what I understand, is going to be a, a, a project that's going to be quite large. The idea is to provide more services to our, to our veterans, but particularly focusing on those issues of mental health. Um, one of the partners that, that will be engaged in this project is the UC Medical Center with a psychologist and, and the psychiatrist, and they will be having uh, those staff members come and provide services here on campus as well. We, all, we already have a, a MFT here on campus, uh, but these are the individuals who will... I will collaborate with the service that we have here at the college to provide more services and better services to our to our to our veterans. The other piece of this is that it's a residential piece. Uh, they're talking about having forty uh, beds uh, uh, for our veterans here in the county, uh, and the veterans center will also uh, become like a one-stop shop for them. They'll receive uh, counseling, of course. Uh, they'll they'll be able to live there, but they also will will receive job training skills. They'll be able to learn how to, how to write a resume and all those skills that they need to to be successful once they get their uh, mental health uh, uh, status better. Uh, the person who's leading this charge, uh, you all know Dorothy Salmon, uh, Auntie Dorothy, and when I say she's leading the charge, she is leading the charge because she's not she she's not taking no for an answer. She's not, one thing she says, you know what, money is not an issue. Uh, there's a donor that has donated five point five million dollars to make this happen. And so she's saying, I don't want to see any excuses about money's not, not available and blah, blah, blah. So uh, she has tagged on uh, with, with Napa College so we can provide uh, services to our veterans here and to refer them to, to the residential uh, um, places there in uh, Yonville. Um, so there will be more information coming. Uh, you said it would be a good idea to have them come and make a presentation to get a full scope. Um, with reference to, to Cashford College, uh, we've had about... Ten activities at our local high schools, including Justin, Sienna, and so the the staff members in financial aid and STEM and EOPS have uh, have talked to and met with over three hundred and forty uh, people and students uh, through these schools, and we have more that are that are programmed. So once again, this is the the activity that shares with parents and with students uh, the availability of financial aid for them to pay for their studies at any college, but we're, of course, we're asking them to please consider Napa Valley College as our first choice. Uh, another uh, another uh, activity we're having is that, um, Marianne, we're going to be in your neck of the woods on March the 16th at the Career Fair at American uh, College, American Canyon High, High School. Uh, it's going to be from 8.30 to 1.30. And so we're going to have staff from the Transfer Center and from the UPS and from the Financial Aid with an information table there as well. So... That's Wednesday the 16th from 8.30 to 1.30. That's a Wednesday. And uh, uh, it says that there's going to be lunch. Uh, they'll be provided, sponsored by Jeffrey Nicolini. I guess he's a doctor there. Um, so, once again, uh, Napa College is, is making the effort to be at all possible uh, events, including this, uh, to, to, to this uh, career fair. Napa College will be at three others in Solano County. Um, at three high schools there, so once again, the idea is for us to to attend those those activities that were uh, that were invited to. And I think with that, actually, one more thing, we're looking for for volunteers. So if any of you have time to volunteer on either Tuesday, March the first, or Friday, March the eighteenth, uh, on Tuesday, March the first, we're having a visit by 180 eighth graders from Redwood Middle School. And on March 18th, we're having a visit by 160 more 8th uh, graders from, from that same school. 
So we need assistance with with folks who can assist with uh, with with chaperoning these these students and and once again uh, help helping us uh, plant the seed of education uh, with a visitation here at Tampa Bay College. Thank you, Oscar. Yes. Since you brought up the uh, that you're going to be in American Canyon and a career fair, um, you know they have a, a culinary program there. And so I thought it would be a really good idea if we somehow connect with, you know, with our school and make them aware. I mean, I don't know how, to me it would seem like a really seamless move for the students who are really interested in that to, you know, to then go to our Up Valley campus. Any thoughts on? Well, one, one, one part of it, and then Terry can uh, let me speak to the part of it. But we, as you know, we last last month uh, you you approved the hiring of an outreach specialist for the Valley campus, and that individual uh, will be also at, at at the career fair. And his purpose is primary to share on the cookie school that we have here in oh, Valley. Okay. So he will provide information on what we have on what we have available and uh, and and the opportunities for those students to attend that particular program. Thanks, thanks, Oscar. Um, actually, a couple of things that I want to mention in my report today, um, and some of them actually refer to some of the items on the agenda. So I'll, I'll kind of start with that. Um, uh, the first one is um, item 10.3.3, which is uh, on the consent agenda. So I wanted to make sure that you are aware of that, and that's an MOU with the Napa Valley Grape Growers. Um, they are providing uh, funding for some of our non-credit faculty to um, look at some of the ESL curriculum uh, so that it can be more directed toward uh, uh, employees of the Napa Valley grape growers who are um, in need of ESL training. And so we're excited about that. They're, they're providing the funding basically for those faculty to update the curriculum for that purpose. And then they're also providing for the students that will enroll in those classes uh, books and other supplies that they'll need. And so that that's actually a really good partnership. Um, uh, I'm, I, w- I will also say something about sabbaticals, but I'll wait until 11.2 when we get to that, if possible. I wanted to call your attention to item 11.3, which on your agenda is called academic personnel status. Um, the part of it that you need to realize in regard to that is the, you, by approving this, you will all also be granting tenure to um, five of our faculty. And so that's Christy Awamoto of English. Uh, James McGowan of History, Aaron Quigley of Physics, Melinda Tran, who is a counselor but also our articula- articulation officer, and Eric Wade of Welding. And so it, this is a, a great event for them, obviously, obviously for them. Um, and, and, and we are all proud that they have made it through that gauntlet of uh, receiving tenure. Um, and, uh, and, and hopefully you will approve that t- tonight, um, uh, even though it's not called out in a way that you might have noticed it. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is an update on enrollment. And so there was a handout that went around. Sorry, I didn't get that to your desk uh, prior to me starting this. Um, I gave you some information on enrollment at the last board meeting. I wanted to kind of give you an update. Um, and, and so the, the spreadsheet that I gave you is much more data and much more detailed than you probably want to see at this point. But what I would like you to do is focus on the small box at the bottom of that spreadsheet that has base 104.67. And so basically, 
um, where we're at with our enrollments as as of this was pulled, this data was pulled on the 9th of February, um, is that based on what we're doing, have done in summer 15, fall 15, and are doing so far in spring 16, that we're going to be about 105 FTS short of base. Um, our opportunities to achieving base at this point, still there still are some that um, basically might allow us to do that. Um, uh, the chances of that are becoming more difficult, and that's through the late start classes that we still have coming in the, in the spring semester. We still have 46 courses that have not started, um, and, and at, that, at this point, those courses are at 57% fill. Um, we, we, we achieved 81.7% fill of our courses as of the end of the late ad period, um, which is actually a, a considerable improvement over last spring. Um, and, and so I'm hopeful that those late start classes will, will um, have an increased fill and will help in pushing toward that additional 105 FTS that we need. Um, our, our other options basically are in um, uh, summer. Um, in, in this spreadsheet, in the you'll see on summer 16, it mentions 423.86 FTS. That's the amount that we generated um, from last summer, and so the idea would be if we do an identical summer, that's what we will achieve from it this summer. Um, Instruction Council is in the process of currently building the summer schedule, um, and, and we are being as aggressive as we can be in building that, so with the intent that we will achieve a greater than 424 FTS in, in this summer's um, uh, that will, uh, to do that, will require us to build a schedule that our students and potential students want, um, and then will also require that we do some good marketing and outreach to, to fill that. And, and I, I want to give Oscar and the student services people uh, uh, kudos for the efforts that they do, um, especially part of what he said to you is that we are doing outreach when we are invited um, to Solano County High Schools, um, w which is not in our district, and so it's great when we can attract um, uh, those students here as well. And, and, and uh, Student Services actually does a great job because quite a number of our students come uh, from Fairfield and other parts of Solano County. Um, the other things that we need to do, obviously, or to look at is um, summer, as I mentioned, but other options that we have is to increase our non-credit. And so I'm also working with Instruction Council and Michelle Mono um, and looking at the possibilities of doing that. Um, some of our non-credit, well, some of it actually is that item I mentioned before, the MOU with the, um, the grape growers, that, that is an effort to increase um, some of our non-credit. Um, what's good about those ESL classes is that those are CDCP non-credit or enhanced non-credit, and this year um, the, the state is funding that type of non-credit at the same level as credit. And so um, we, we don't ha take a hit in our finances uh, through those courses. And so um, we, we're hoping to increase more of that. I'm not sure how much of that we'll be able to do this year. Um, we, we will be able to do much more of that next year. Um, so I'm open to questions on any of this at this point. Terry, I just have a comment. I have a friend on the Solano County uh, board. And she said her first thing to me was, uh, why are you taking all of our students? <laughs> so good job. Yeah, good teaching. Um, hey, Bob. Oh, I just had a question. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Go ahead. Just talking about the, the MOU with the grape growers, I was just curious, um, how many students does it take, like, 
when you're trading FTS for instructor, how many students does it take to pay for the instructors, or is it that clear cut? Uh, yeah, so um, not so basically, I won't show you all the math, but uh, to teach a non-credit class, uh, we pay our instructors uh, thirty-eight dollars an hour, and so basically, the cost of those three classes is about twenty-one hundred dollars. Um, to generate uh, sufficient revenue to cover that, basically, would take uh, five students, and and so um, so anything above five students in those courses is um, basically profit for us in regard to that offering, and so. Um, we are able to have low enrollments in our non-credit classes because the, the amount that we pay our non-credit instructors is considerably less than what we pay our credit instructors. We have to have quite a few more than five to break even in a credit class. Is that number for any non-credit or just that one because you said it has that, special status being ESL? That, that would be for enhanced non-credit. And, and so for uh, uh, other non-credits that don't fit in the enhanced non-credit category, it would require about twi- double that, so it would be about 10 students. Thank you. Bob. I'm not going to say this is your first vice president's report, but I think I just did. But it is. Welcome. So thank you. It's great to be here. And so I'm, I'm happy to report there are some exciting things happening in uh, administrative services, and uh, we're going to focus on the tentative budget or developing the tentative budget tonight. But in institutional technology, one of the other areas under administrative services, we're getting ready for a server migration, which will be happening at the end of March. And what that will allow us to do is to move our colleague ERP system onto a more stable uh, uh, server base And once that happens, then we'll be able to implement some product improvements that we've been holding off on, which will make the system much more user-friendly and uh, provide some additional services to to our students. And so we'll be uh, giving you updates on uh, that server migration at uh, future meetings. In facilities, now that the Education Master Plan is uh, being updated, and you'll hear more about that in a couple of minutes, Uh, there will need to be some adjustments to the facilities master plan. And so facilities will be having meetings with constituent groups in order to determine how best to meet the needs that are outlined in the educational master plan through uh, facility improvements. And so that's probably the major initiative that will be taking place in facilities over the next couple months. And so we will certainly be updating you on that as well. But the focus tonight is on the process for developing our tentative budget for 2016 and 2017. And so just to give you a little bit of background and what really uh, uh, drives or gives us the information that we need in order to develop the budget, uh, first of all, we start with the governor's January budget proposal. And so we know that there will be a revision of this in May, but as we enter the budget development cycle, This is the information that we're using to develop that cycle. So the governor's January budget proposal for community colleges, a very modest COLA, only 0.47%, but certainly any additional funding is good news. And so so a slight COLA. There's some growth funding that will be available, an overall 2% enrollment increase. 
Proposition 39 funding, and that's for uh, energy efficiency initiatives. Um, that's a total of $45.2 million for the entire system. Some scheduled or deferred maintenance and instructional equipment, total of $289 million for the entire system. Outstanding mandates and current mandates, so these are things, reimbursements that we get from the state for people participating in collective bargaining activities and things of that nature. The current mandates are at $28 per FTES, and so we will certainly share in that. And then at the end, I also mentioned the adult education block grant, and that has been uh, placed in the budget for another $500 million for 16-17. That's not an increase, but this year our local consortium received $750,000 in funding from the adult education block grant, and so we would certainly expect that a similar amount would come to our local consortium next year as well. So these are all on the revenue side of the house and all things that represent potential increases in revenue to us. So as we look at that additional revenue, we also have some considerations. You've approved tonight the 16-17 planning priorities and the budget development values and assumptions, and those will be the basis that individual constituencies will be using to develop their budget proposals. We also have to realize that a 0.47 cost of living increase is not a very significant amount of money, and so we do have increasing expenses to be covered by that limited cost of living increase. And then another fairly significant, and I know I'm sure you've talked about this at uh, previous meetings, the STIRS and PERS increases, and so we're looking at Additional increases this year, STIRS employer rate goes up to 12.58%. That's an increase from 10.73 in the current year. PERS goes up to 13.05, and that's up from 11.85% in the current year. So those are all things that we need to take into consideration as we build the budget for the 16-17 year. So what does that timetable look like? Well, of course... You approve the planning priorities and the budget development values and assumptions tonight. We kick off the budget development cycle on February 26th with our annual planning and budget orientation for budget center managers. So all budget center managers will get the uh, Excel spreadsheets that they'll be using. We'll be using a similar format as we did last year. And within that Excel spreadsheet, the uh, budget center managers, when they propose additions to their budget, will look to those five planning priorities and indicate how those uh, proposals for additional funding tie into those five planning priorities and support those five planning priorities. On March 31st, they will submit those um, development forms to the presidents and vice presidents. March 31st through April 20th is the review of those submissions by the area councils uh, uh, and uh, prioritization of those proposals at the area councils. On April 27th, the cabinet will finalize those bu the budget request priority list and submit that to both the budget and finance or business and finance office as well as to um, the uh, planning committee for review. On May 17th, 
Budget Committee will meet to review that priority list that they received from the Cabinet and a draft of that tentative budget. And on May 19th, the week before finals, we'll conduct a public forum on the tentative budget to get input from all of the campus community. And that all culminates on June 9th with our presentation of that tentative budget to you for approval at the Board of Trustees meeting. So that concludes my report on the budget development process. And uh, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them at this point. Um, so last year, all the budgets from the different budget centers just rolled over from the year before. So it looks like this is going to be different, that it won't well, be an automatic rollover. So we will be rolling over for one more year. Um, uh, as we're getting somewhat of a late start in this process, we want to back the date up much earlier next year to allow more time for review. But for this current period, we will roll over um, with the understanding that there will be some additional funding available to fund some additional initiatives. We are looking at other ways of developing the budget for the 17-18 budget year that would uh, not be an automatic rollover. The last thing, sorry. Um, it looks like there's going to be less money coming in, so we're... You'll have to make decisions about where that will cut, or because you said you said the budget centers are just going to roll over, so that will be cut from other areas. Well, no, we'll actually have the same. We'll actually have some additional funding this year because our base will remain the same. So the funding that we had this year would remain the same, and then there will be the point four seven cola and some additional scheduled maintenance funds and instructional equipment funding and things of that nature coming in as well. So there will be some additional funds uh, available this year. I guess what I meant is that increase in expenses with the PERS and the STIRS. And right. And so there have been, in this year, we received some additional one-time funding to cover that. And some of those funds will, some additional funding will be uh, made available to cover some of those PERS, a portion of that PERS and STIRS increase. Um, and so... We're pretty confident that there will be some funds available to fund initiatives that are uh, put forward. In fact, we're basically making a commitment to have some funding available to fund some of the initiatives that support those five planning priorities. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Um, you can check out the uh, Public Information Office report. It's posted. Um, and um, we're really focusing on the uh, kind of no newsworthy items. I think it's there. It's just the, the format's a little different, and um, take a look at it, especially board. I'll be driving some stuff out. Doug Ernst is uh, preparing this each time, and basically it's kind of newsroomy, and um, um, from our, our vantage point, you know, it has a little bit of a clipping service look, if you will. You know, what's in the, what's in the news? What are we doing? What are the highlights? And... Um, and um, any suggestions you have for that in terms of, you know, corrections or what you'd like to see or enhancements, please let me know. And we'll, we'll it's an ongoing piece. So thank you. That's the end of my report. Thank you very much. Moving to 8.0, action item, approval of minutes. I move to approve minutes. Uh, I, uh, before, I mean, go ahead with a second, I guess. 
We have the second, so we could discuss. Um, I, I can't support. I To put an explanation of why you voted no in the minutes is, is totally uh, crazy. I mean, you vote, we vote because we... Uh, we vote, and that doesn't have anything to do with putting it in the uh, in the minutes. So I I, to me I that's agree crazy. with Joanne. Uh, <clears throat> it's been proved and properly seconded. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed. No. Uh, last. Yes. So I here? I need to abstain. Right. Mm-hmm. I will be abstaining from the vote. I'd like—I I didn't have a chance to give any input. It, it moves very quickly, so I'd like to say something if it's possible. Was it voted and approved? Voted and approved. So, in the future, if we could have time for some discussion, because there was no discussion, there was no opportunity for discussion. So, understood. Well, but you were you were wanting to add something, so it wouldn't have been Let's anything. Let's move along. So I'd like to have an opportunity to be able to talk to, about that in the future. 9.2 accreditation update. I'm sorry, Mr. Chair, but um, I need to make this statement. You insulted Carol Lee at the last meeting. I apologize to her after the meeting for your behavior. I wasn't going to let you do that again by trying to explain uh, the uh, your vote. You know, you made it, own it. Sorry. Exactly. And if I say vote no, I think it should explain why. And this is part of our history, and it actually says in our board policy that we will record not just action items, but major points of discussion. And that was a major point of discussion, and it should be part of the history and part of the record. Heard from both sides. Robin, thank you very much. You have the floor. Hi. Let me introduce um, this, this accreditation update. First, um, in my notes, I want to reach out. Robin, thank you, and Eric for taking the lead on this. I thought it was more than a stellar job. I referred to you to early on in the cycle last year as the dream team, and I think that with a steering committee and faculty and staff and administrators, students, it really was wonderful. So I'm going to give you a hand right now. Yeah. And in that, I was, um, I was also, I just wanted to, I wanted to comment. I, I, we all know that ACCJC has been kind of under this, um, I don't even know what to call it. Give me a, give me an adjective, somebody. Wow. Scrutiny. Thank you. Um, under scrutiny. Um, and this has been ongoing for several years for, for us to be chosen by them as the pilot for the new standards was, a. It's, it was a remarkable leap of faith on their side. It could have gone much differently. So they, I believe they chose Napa Valley College because of our great history with accreditation, because we're a good school, because we have a good teaching learning piece here, and, um, and they had great confidence in that. And part of what I think you and Eric did and the team was help define for them these standards in the future. So, again, um, my thanks. It was um, my pleasure to work with you on this. So if you can still speak. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, too, want to send out some thank yous, um, particularly to the writing team members, the steering committee, um, all of the uh, members of the campus community that uh, participated in the interviews, including students um, and the board itself, and especially Dan DeGarty, who served on a writing team. So he did double duty in his role as board chair last year. So 
Um, it was definitely a team effort, although certainly Eric and I might have been the face of it. There was there was a lot of uh, uh, there was a team behind us that might have been less visible. Um, so before I get to next steps and an update, I want to acknowledge first that um, our, the action letter we received was really great news for MVC. And um, I will share with you that I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised in terms of the action uh, that was taken to reaffirm our uh, accreditation. And so I, I, <laughs> I think luckily only Terry and Diane saw my <laughs> attempt to kind of <laughs> run down the hall and Contain my excitement. I'm sure if there's some video and surveillance or in the hallways, I hope it's deleted um, shortly. Um, so that said, <laughs> um, we also need to be mindful that there is significant work that we need to do to address the recommendations. And I think that that's something that needs to be underscored, that, that we're not through, through it yet. It's been reaffirmed for 18 months. I'll get to the timeline in a little while. But again, there's significant work that we need to do to address those priority recommendations. Um, I've distributed copies of the action letter uh, to the board and constituent groups, and then I ran out of copies. Um, however, as required by the ACCJC, our action letter and the detailed team report have been posted on the accreditation portion of the college website under uh, research planning and institutional effectiveness. Um, so. I suggest that if you haven't already done so as a board member, um, you should read the team report because it takes every component standard by standard and provides a brief description of our uh, effective practices and what our status is and then says whether we meet the standard or not. Um, hopefully you also saw the recent register articles covering MVC performance reports. So that was the student success scorecard and the core indicators report that I think was uh, last week in the register and then um, the very brief update uh, regarding our accreditation or reaffirmation status. So if you haven't seen those on the register, then go look at their website. Um, the action letter, which again is um, at the board members' places, um, highlighted three priority areas for improvement. And those include student learning outcomes. These might sound familiar since we did the planning priorities earlier. Um, so student learning outcomes assessment and I'm going to highlight a few components underneath that. So that includes the regular and ongoing assessment of student learning outcomes and accompanying dialogue, using the results for improvement, and demonstrating, and I think that the language here is probably among the most interesting in the action letter. So they want to demo we need to demonstrate that student learning is a visible priority in all practices and structures across the college. And I think there's certainly work to be done there. And I think that the, the structures piece is very interesting. Uh, the second area for improvement is the evaluation of personnel. And this involves abiding by established timelines and incorporating consideration of the use of outcomes assessment results in the evaluation of employees directly responsible for student learning. And so we do have the faculty side covered, however, um, academic administrators and other personnel that might be responsible for student learning uh, needs to be addressed. And finally, the third area of, uh, for improvement, which again might sound familiar, is integration of plans. And the recommendation as written in the action letter has a focus on fiscal and resource planning, including reference to realistic assessment of financial resources and covering both short-term and long-term planning. So these three priorities will be the focus of the follow-up report, and that needs to be submitted 
to the ACCJC by March 15th of 2017. So what I have here on the slide is um, some key accreditation events. And while accreditation has been reaffirmed for 18 months, and we received notification of that at the end of last week, that quickly became 14, or sorry, 13 months even, um, because the timeline is measured as of the time of the visiting team's visit. So, poof, there went five months while you weren't, <laughs> in case you didn't notice it. Um, so, um, since early January, uh, I've been meeting with Cabinet regularly to identify actions and next steps to ensure that we meet the standards by March of 2017. Those plans will be shared with the campus community in the next few weeks as we finalize them and flush them out a little bit more. Um, but for now, here are some of those key accreditation events. So as displayed here, uh, following the follow-up report uh, and that's due um, by next March 15th of 2017, then we can expect a site visit. And for that, we anticipate a much smaller group for the follow-up site visit. It's typically two or three people, and it should include our team chair, as uh, Dr. Llewellyn is familiar with our most recent, the results of our most recent review. So that tends to be the commission's practice. Uh, as in the comprehensive review, ACCJC staff and the commission will review our follow-up report, the team's report, other MVC materials, including um, the evidence that we are required to submit in support of the follow-up report, and they will take action at their meeting in June of 2017. Uh, MVC will then be notified of the status resulting from the follow-up, and that we can expect in July of 2017. Um, so that will communicate our status for the remainder of the accreditation cycle, and I did receive confirmation from ACCJC staff today that we, as a result of piloting, are in a unique position in that we are the first and the only um, in the 2015, fall of 2015 review cohort that will be given a seven year, the seven year um, accreditation cycle pending our status. Yeah. yeah so we are, we're yeah. alone in that. So. Yeah, so, so the, the commission policy, in a, in a footnote, um, that probably I only I read, um, it indicates that the seven-year cycle kicks in as of the initial comprehensive review that's conducted under the new 2014 standards. So we're the only ones. For everyone else, it will be um, among the spring 2016 cohort that gets to shift to that. Um, so uh, also after our... Um, follow-up report and the ACCJC action in 2017, we will still be required to submit a midterm report after that, and that will be, uh, you know, a, again, a short-term turnaround period because that will be at the three-and-a-half-year mark. However, um, and I think that the ACCJC staff is still working on this a little bit, but the midterm report will likely focus on um, data and updates related to um, components that we're always required to um, submit in our annual plan report to the uh, ACCJC. So um, as we move through um, the timeline that's projected here, I will continue to provide um, regular, although less frequent, um, updates to the board between now and March of 2017. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Could, so if you look at uh, <clears throat> the recommendation 159, one uh, uh, is a 
is the biggie, right? I mean, SLO started the year before I retired, and I retired in 2004. So we're 11 years plus. And uh, so we need to do something different to meet, you know, I mean, to get to this level than than what we've been doing. I mean, do we need another how-to? I mean, what's the... What's the uh, um, different plan? It, well, so um, part just to give a little bit of history. So at the time of our last comprehensive review in 2009, that was prior to the uh, 2012-13 uh, proficiency status um, deadline, right, that the ACCJC had established for student learning outcomes assessment. So at the time of our last review, the um, visiting team and the commission could not um, provide something on the level of a recommendation that you weren't meeting a standard because the, that that um, expectation in terms of the standards hadn't, the, the timeline hadn't, or that deadline hadn't come and gone. Well, that, so bought, I, us, that bought us that additional it, time. It bought us time. However, I think my personal feeling is I think it did result in maybe a false sense of complacency um, across the institution. Um, we were we had a 5 plus 1, what we called our 5 plus 1 um, student learning outcomes assessment cycle in place at the time that was intended to mirror our program review or program evaluation and planning PEP cycle. Um, and it represented that over the course of five years, every one of those five years, um, instructional programs were expected to assess roughly uh, 20% of their courses. Uh, and then that plus one year was to represent the PEP review year where you'd look at program level outcomes um, based on data that have been compiled over those previous five years. So it was meant to get us to the 100% level for both course and program on the instructional side. Um, at the time of the site visit, again, we didn't have a recommendation because of ACCJC um, approaches at the time, um, but we were encouraged by the visiting team to accelerate that process. We know from our uh, proficiency status report that we submitted in fall of 2012 that 5 plus 1 did not get us to that 100% level. Um, at the time, my recollection is that we had 67% of programs that reported that they had outcomes assessed. I think it was slightly higher, maybe 75% for courses. Um, however, just as the ACCJC requirements have been increasing, we too have been trying to improve our processes. And one of the big shifts that's occurred in the past year or so is that um, we're really abiding by the mantra that if it's not in track data, it doesn't exist. And while um, even as early as two years ago, if uh, individual faculty said that they had assessed, even if the data, we didn't have the evidence stored in track data, we said, okay, that's been assessed, okay, that's been assessed. But now, again, the requirement has changed, and it's not did you assess it at any point. It's are you in, um, engaging in ongoing assessment. So there's another um, change in the definition. And so we're now working on... Um, adjusting some of our practices and processes and structures to assure that we are actually engaged in ongoing assessment at all of the levels required. So do we have, uh, is this a combination of classes and programs or student services ahead of the game? We're, we're expected to be assessing outcomes at all of the above plus some more. So uh, course level, program level, uh, student service level and academic support level and institutional level uh, 
including gender ed outcomes. So what, what do other colleges do in terms of, uh, you know, of that whole uh, additional responsibility that the faculty uh, assumes to make that happen? Um, I think that, it, you know, there isn't really a one-size-fits-all model. Different um, campuses use different approaches. Have, that you seen, have you seen on another campus something that works better than what we're doing here? I think that there are a lot of examples out there of good work that's being done and that we could build off of. Um, so I think that we also have some good and effective practices. However, um, part of our issue is that maybe we've been uh, assessing the same courses or the same programs multiple times, but then the ones, there, there is a group, and that this was included in um, one of the updates that we provided as evidence to the team, is that we have a, about... 30% of our courses that are active, but they haven't been offered in the past few years, and so they haven't had the opportunity to assess outcomes. And so until we offer those or archive that, you know, the, the solutions are uh, offer them, assess them the first time they're ever offered again, um, and then get them in, included in the numerator because they're already included in the nominator. The other thing is if we haven't offered them in that long of a time, then we need to evaluate and have an honest evaluation of whether that needs to be offered again as it you know as as integral to some of our degree and certificate programs so each division chair or division dean has a responsibility for everything that's taught in their division in terms of going through the process to date i think we've left it up to the individual faculty and terry might be able to comment in terms of what the role of instruction council and the division chairs and deans in terms of um ensuring that that work gets done yeah i would say join let me just let okay. me i you know i mean i came at it from the student services side and it um it you know it never made sense to me but then i you know i only hit the top layer before I, uh, before I retired. So I, there seems to me uh, that this is, and I, uh, please don't misunderstand my comment, this seems to me like an additional workload that, uh, you, that has to be done and that, that so the faculty are expected to fit it into their schedule uh, I mean to fit it into the into the uh, their plan, um, and with a defined timeline. Now that's probably what well, Terry well, needs to. I would just since you kind of change gears here, I want to um, respond to that first. I think that exact what you just expressed is exactly the mindset that we need to get out of, and I absolutely appreciate that in the grand scheme of the academy and um, what faculty responsibilities are. Student learning outcomes and the assessment is relatively new. So I get the way you framed it in terms of it's an additional thing. It's new. But again, I'll, I'll refer you to the uh, you know visible priority in all practices and structures across the college. I mean, to me, that's where all the action is. And we need to somehow figure out how to enable a cultural shift to occur where it's not the last thing because it's it needs to be the first thing in terms of improving student learning, and student success. And we need to figure out a way together, and because there's a really an institutional-level responsibility, to reinstill some energy and enthusiasm, reframe it, 
to make it so it's not, it doesn't feel like it's compliance driven, but it's, I mean, you get faculty, you, you guys can adjust to this, you know, you get them talking um, about students and what they're doing in their classrooms and what works and what doesn't, and it's hard to stop them. But we somehow have... Yeah, as Amanda uh, described her experience. Yeah, yeah. and that's and actually the exactly the um, brown bag that Diana has planned for next week is part of trying to, you know, engage and have those discussions that, that do excite faculty. Well, I guess the reason I'm trying to dig down to where I can better understand it is that there's got to be, I mean, there's, what, 110, whatever, number of community colleges, so there, you know, there have got to be a variety of ways of, of uh, doing it, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, right. and better way to... Uh, or right, and, and and our Learning Outcomes Assessment Committee is um, engaging in some of the discussions about, to identify the appropriate structures to help ensure that and um, you know evaluate what we've been doing and trying to improve it. Jamie, you have a question? I'm wondering if part of it is connected with the next recommendation um, that talks about you know consistent and regular evaluation, but and tying evaluation to the use of learning outcomes. It seems like that's where maybe the teeth is in terms of you know linking evaluation with the use of learning outcomes. Um, the in, in terms of the faculty role um, and use of assessment results. Um, and factoring that into their evaluation process, we have that in place. So this is really, in terms of our recommendation, it's focusing on that the academic administrators and others responsible that are outside of faculty. That, that work with, that are teaching that students? That are responsible for student learning. Oh, okay. So more administrator. Uh, administrator. Academic administrators, and you know, then there's a, additional conversation about, or, or that needs to occur in terms of identifying um, the types of positions that would need to have that as a component of their evaluation. Next Robin? Step. Yeah. So the area that I have the hardest time getting my um, head around is the integration with the financial and the institutional plans. And um, earlier with the priority planning, what was outlined as how that was going to be accomplished was great. And I'm just curious, was there one side of it more than the other uh, pushing back and working together to make this happen. Well, so, uh, so specifically w- with regard to um, recommendation nine, and I'd refer you mm-hmm. specifically to the standards mm-hmm. that are cited um, following that, those are all, all within standard three, which is the resources. So standard 3D um, involves physical resources, and standard 3D is the, the financial resources. So... Um, this, and again, the wording for that recommendation really focuses on, I mean, if you look at the details, so it's institutional plans, but then it says, i.e., campus master plan, educational master plan, five-year facilities plan, and other appropriate plans, e.g. staffing, with financial plans. So it's it's really the resource-related um, plans, you know, technology, uh, FMP, financial. And, and then all the drill down there is, you know, long-term and short-term financial planning, and then again, further, the team recommends the college's planning reflect a realistic assessment of financial resource availability and expenditure requirements. So that's Bob's area. So welcome, Bob. So was it? So was it more? Was it more Bob's area, which wasn't Bob's area at the time, <laughs> not matching up with the institutional needs, or or the other way around? 
we have some gaps in terms of even the plans within standard three. That's part of this issue. Okay. We have some of the pieces in place, like five-year cap- five facilities plan and capital outlay plan, but how do they all work together? Because we can't obviously fund all of them at the same time. So where's the give and take? How do you prioritize among them? Any other questions? I, w- I just want to make sure that I, uh, I was remiss a little bit. There's one more leader on campus that I forgot to thank for the accreditation process. He's a brilliant communicator, new father, and an incredible researcher. And I, I'm, somehow I forgot to include you in that. So I want to make sure, Chris, that I give a shout-out to you. you. You did a workmanlike job and on all fronts, evidently. So um, there's a joke in there somewhere. You have to think about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Thank you very much, Robin. I'd like at this time to in- indulge the board's uh, consideration to uh, 11.2, because I see you're sitting in the back right there very quietly, um, and that would be the faculty sabbatical leave request for 2016-2017. If I may, and then after that, I'd like to take a short break. So can we uh, can we move there? Oh well, I I don't know if someone wants to make a motion or you want me to say something or we're we're good. I'll move right. approval of the sabbatical leave request. Second. All right. So any discussion on this? Uh, if I can just say a few words, uh, yes. so there are so there are two uh, sabbatical requests that you're um, looking at and um, taking action on. One is Linda Napolitz, Napolitz who has been sitting here patiently um, yes. listening to all of this. Um, I give her great credit for that. Um, she's a professor in the associate degree nursing program. Hers is for a one semester sabbatical for which she'll de- is planning on developing a course that will help students be more successful in the nursing program it's basically a pre course for the nursing program um, which uh, would will will serve greatly to help students as they um, go into that program and have the opportunity to be more successful uh, the second one is Jeff Wasmith it's a one-year sabbatical um, he's uh, the professor of psychology here his is to um, take uh, more classes, basically, to um, uh, get a certificate in biomimicry, um, w- which is uh, basically uh, an area in biology, but has great relevant, rev- uh, rev- sorry, relevance. Thank you, relevance to what he teaches in psychology, um, because it, it basically brings in a lot of the evolutionary aspects of things that happen in the biological world, along with what happens in the psychology world. Um, and so those are the two that um, you're looking at. It's been moved and properly seconded. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Those, congratulations. I'm abstain. I'm abstaining. Abstain. And uh, I'd like to hear a report back. Thank you. We're going to take a short recess at this point. Uh, let's see. Yes, go ahead, please. I'd just like to say on behalf of the Faculty Association, um, thank you for approving those sabbaticals. So important to faculty to have that opportunity. Short recess. Let's reconvene at 8.55 p.m.